0: Harper's house. Daytime.
1: You were right to poison the wasps.
0: Yes, I think the wasps have got to go.
1: I was outside yesterday on the edge of the wood when a shadow came over and it was a cloud of butterflies. They came down just beyond me and the trees and bushes were red with them. Two of them clung to my arm. I was terrified. One of them got in my hair. I managed to squash them.
0: I haven't had a problem with butterflies.
1: They can cover your face. The Romans used to commit suicide with gold leaf. Just flip it down their throat and it covered their windpipe. I think of that with the butterflies.
0: I was passing an orchard. There were horses standing under the trees and suddenly wasps attacked them out of the plums. There were the horses galloping by, screaming with their heads made of wasp. I wish she'd wake up.
1: We don't know how long she'd been walking. She was right to come. You don't go off walking in the middle of a war. You
0: do if you're escaping.
1: We don't know that she was escaping.
0: She was getting to a place of safety to regroup.
1: Is this a place of safety?
0: Relatively, yes, of course it is. Everyone thinks it's just a house. The
2: theater. The theater.
0: Bring it out, Louise!
3: Theater. Theater.
2: Yeah. Hey.
1: Hello.
0: Hey. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Hi, friends. Hey. How
4: you doing? Hey. Are you Are you talking to us? Yeah, I'm talking to you.
0: I'm talking to you. Audience.
4: Too. Uh, oh, uh, never Never refer to me as a friend again. <laughs> oh. Ever. Whoa. Wow. Whoa. This, is, this uh, podcast has ruined oh, uh, What's happening? We've <sighs> had too much. I've already had too much whiskey. Yeah. My. Well, yeah. I- Oh.
1: <laughs> I personally am fucking fantastic because they had therapy yesterday, mm. so I'm freshly Yay. clean and beautiful, therapized, beautiful. ready to discuss I want to redact feminism.
0: any jokes I was making last uh, episode during the Miller episode about therapy not being good. It is totally good. I want anybody who uh, took that the wrong way to make sure that they understand that I fully support therapy. Anymore. In fact, well, if, you're listening, if, if you right now, <laughs> you're listening to this right
1: now, you're listening to this right now fucking go get therapy yeah
0: that's right go get therapy it's uh i think everyone needs it and uh especially some people
4: um <laughs> uh, and you'll and and, and you will certainly need it after uh delving into carol, the world of carol carol Churchill. Churchill.
3: oh carol oh carol, oh, carol. Oh, oh, uh,
4: carol. <laughs> welcome to theater
0: theater <laughs> please add in a wayne's world riff right there scott thank you uh <laughs> <got that>? thank <laughs> you no like add it in post it's fine the theater podcast for theater, theater people made by three theater makers from the LA theater scene. I'm Jay Bailey Burcham.
1: I'm CJ Merriman.
0: And I am Scott Leggett. And we're each members of the Sacred Fools Theater Company. And each week we're going to get together and talk about plays and playwrights that we have strong opinions on. And we discuss, debate, and disseminate them all. And this is our episode pod nine, our episode on Carol, the Carol Churchill. First thoughts. Oh, thought, no hear
1: relation to right Winston, away. right? No, I don't think
4: I, so. I think <laughs> I I think that the the thing that had struck me the most and was as we started delving into this episode and doing our reading and pre production, mm-hmm. the, the the slack messages of she's really hard to read, yeah, um, in a number of ways. It's and, meant to be performed. Um, meant to be performed, and that doesn't doesn't take away from the genius and no. the brilliance and. Um, uh, for the most part. And um, for sure.
1: I I am coming at this from a very unique position. Well, I don't know if it's that unique, um, but I am, I am a bad theater person, feminist and woman, because before this, I had never read a lick of Carol Churchill. Wow. Really?
4: Wow. Yeah. seen Anything? Nothing? Nothing. Wow. That's nothing. a cool perspective. Yeah. I, did, I did not know that we had not discussed that yeah
1: welcome you've known me for over 10 years now so (laughs) you just learned something new
4: yeah
0: that's amazing that's a cool perspective yeah it's um it's definitely not a bad on you as a as a woman or a feminist or a human or a theater nerd at all um i think she's an american or as an american uh i think she's definitely she's definitely a very british playwright and she's also somebody that's not super accessible in terms of like Learning about them uh, in school, unless you're learning about, like, writing structure, and unless your school puts it up or something. Uh, I had to find her myself, personally, in school. I I was not introduced to her, so. um...
1: Yeah, I'd always heard the main main two, Cloud9 and Top Girls. Like, I knew that she wrote them, I knew that they were influential, that they were big deals, but I just never got around to them. Yeah,
0: yeah. My first thoughts are kind of that, um, just like as a writer that I feel like a lot of the time I feel like she uses her power as the playwright to not only speak to an audience, but also sometimes like while I'm reading them or listening or watching them, I feel like she's kind of talking to the playwrights a little bit, if that makes sense. There's oh, that little bit of like, yeah. hey, like that permission of, hey, you can do this. You can, We can we can break, you know, the norm, the normative uh structure that's been imposed on us and we can do new things. And I think that's, what's most exciting about her for me.
4: Yeah. And, and just to dovetail off of that, that also the way that you can change the rules of, of already established schools of theater, epic theater, um, theater of, of cruelty uh you know, surrealism, surrealism surrealism yeah. all that stuff like uh, you know the the one thing i kept writing i think i literally wrote it in in my notes like three times is she's so much more fu- she's, so much more, than me. Oh, she's yeah. so much more fucking smarter than me she's so much more fucking smarter than me she's so much especially when, when
1: you say more smarter more
4: smarter than me <laughs> you fucking dog Duh.
1: sorry that was a low low hanging fruit there
4: no no it's no he's fair. a dumbass we get it no here's the thing yeah I, I, my, <laughs> that's my role i'm the i'm the idiot that's gonna, I'm, a, I'm the jackass that gonna come out and do some that's some exactly stuff, right you know? here's the thing
0: i think people like 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 sarah kane owe a lot of debt to her i think you know the, oh, the sure. people who we now consider like the the groundbreakers the mold breakers right it's like well actually you know they're kind of just riffing on things that churchill was doing and that's what I actually honestly didn't even realize until I was reading a lot of this, and I read way more plays than I thought I was going to because I kept just being like, what's she going to do next? There is not a single one that is the same, and that's what excited me the most.
1: Bitch has got range. She range. Yeah. <laughs> She's got she range. some range. has got range. And the other thing that I noticed about her, granted, I, you know, she has such a large body of work that is still growing. Um, Huge. Hope, hopefully. Huge. Um, but... I just the thing that yes she has range but also something that I really dig about her is if something happens or if or if I don't know if something happens that she has something to say about she's like you know what I'm gonna write a play about that, and you know it's great because she's got these epic two act three act long shows and then she's got these little bite sized things that are really quick reads and but they say something big and pack you a know? punch
0: yeah exactly
1: yeah. Yeah.
4: yeah, it's, it, yeah, it's, she is, she is reacting to, uh, she's not reactionary, but she's reacting to what she's, what she's seeing and hearing. And sometimes there become longer meditations over longer periods of time. And um, sometimes it's the there, the the there and now, you know? Yeah and I think there's a
0: fearlessness to that that's super exciting and that's what we're going to start getting into as we really hit each of these plays and then she also has like these kind of seasons of her writing where you can tell she's very passionate about certain things and I I love this okay
1: see super pumped about this let's start with a little bit of
0: history let's start with the history let's see where she came from conness was the context
1: Yuck. that's
4: that's my um, segment uh, sound effects. Is that how it goes? <laughs> <laughs> you'll get the whole seat, but you'll only need the edge. It sounds a little. Get bit, the out. <laughs> It sounds a little bit
0: like the nothing from the Neverending Story.
4: <laughs> a little bit. Uh... That's all Never I had to say. Story. I'm reading that book right now and it's uh it's long
2: meow, meow, meow. uh okay
4: so let's uh let's get into it
2: let's, let's. Carol,
4: um yeah this is uh just some general bio stuff because I think we want to spend a lot of time with her um with her work uh, Carol Churchill was born uh on september third nineteen thirty eight in London England hot England. Uh, not do- July 4th Not July 4th Wow not July 4th. Hey cheers to that Also to Also that. we should We should also state This, this is the first Female playwright Of
1: bam, the bow, series bow. Where are my ladies at I'm Sorry. proud of
0: it too I, I really uh, I was uh, Hoping we would Move on from the White males We had a couple Yeah of males there. And
4: you know so
1: I'm gonna... fucking sick of them okay.
4: yeah. Two of them yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: fuck that.
4: that's what it says on the internet too yeah We're, um uh, she's born in london england um her mother jan brown was a fashion model and actress her mm. father robert churchill was a political cartoonist We're, um that trend. and yeah um after world war ii the family emigrated to montreal quebec canada so we'll forgive her for that. That's not her fault.
1: Ah, uh, Quebec.
4: I have a weird anti-Canadian. Mean, kind, uh, kind of. I think uh, that
1: Justin Trudeau is steamy.
4: He's got a bod. He sure does. Um, and a
1: face. Sorry.
4: Jesus, <laughs> it's that nose. <laughs> yeah, there's something about the structure face. I really like. No, it <laughs> He's a handsome man, and we love all of our uh, Canadian listeners. Thank you. Yeah. Um, She, uh, while in Montreal, she attended the Trafalgar School for Girls. Uh, In 1960, uh, she graduated from Lady Margaret Hall, a women's college at Oxford University. So she knows she's smart because she went to the Oxford. This sounds Um, like
1: the beginning of a musical.
4: Well... It is. I I'm it's, sorry. It's, it's going to be a fucked up musical. That's right. Um, she got a BA uh, degree in English literature, and uh, she basically started writing plays uh, pretty early on. Uh, she spent the 60s and 70s raising a family, but kept writing. Uh, she wrote radio and television plays for the BBC. This was an interesting fact, and I had to go digging for it. This isn't on Wikipedia or anything. But uh, she did spend a brief time as the uh, hype man for Wu-Tang Clan um wait what really wait stop no, stop, abs- stop what what
2: that's awesome
4: no that's not it's not true at all <laughs> oh. I just, but just the thought God of, damn like, it. the sophisticated mature british woman you know coming out and going after deep reflection and careful consideration and In intense research i haven't intermin- determined that indeed wu-tang clan ain't nothing to fuck with
1: <laughs> <laughs> well i've just... now labeled myself as the gullible one on this yeah podcast. no
4: no no but I, no uh... i did i stopped you for a moment i was like wait
2: because <laughs> wait,
0: this is its own no, it's like it was
4: 93 it was a three-month period they they parted amicably uh that's not true <laughs> at all. um most of um, Churchill's early work, starting in the late '50s, uh, with with her college writing and, and plays like that, uh, started to explore gender and sexuality um, through mostly modernist theater techni- techniques, uh, like epic theater. Dance theater was incorporated later on. Um, you know, she dipped her toe into theater cruelty, uh, surrealism, absurdism. Um, Arto uh, had an impact on her. Um, most people characterize her as postmodernist, but I think that's way too general and sweeping. Yeah,
2: yes, maybe women are complex. Yeah, and a few of her plays complexity.
0: have that. Uh, sure. Okay, absolutely.
4: Um, she served as the resident dramatist at the Royal Court Theater from Jeez. 74 to 75 and later yeah. began collaboration with theater companies uh, such as, such as uh, Joint Stock Theater Company. Uh, Simon Callow is also a member of the Joint Stock Theater Company. I huh. found that out last night because of an epi- episode of Doctor Who, and I'm not ashamed that I said that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm ashamed. Uh, oh, you, but... I,
1: have, I have a sidebar for that
4: side the later bar later on oh, oh. later oh. on
1: oh. i i oh. wrote the note down especially for scott so okay. we'll, okay. get okay. Okay. we'll get there interesting
4: um uh the monstrous regiment which i had heard about and had studied in college which was a feminist theater collective uh, was also one of the um, collaborators that she, that she had an
1: amazing with. name for a theater collective yeah, that's monstrous
4: Radical. regiment yes oh
1: my god
4: that's um both um, this is the interesting point and we'll keep coming back to this because it had a huge impact uh, throughout Oliver writing but uh, both the uh, joint stock theater company and monstrous regiment uh, both used uh, extended workshop um, period in in their development of new plays mm. um, and she still uses improvisational workshops and um, and and those kind of techniques throughout the process although you know she has a knack for distinctly putting her mark on it right um, as opposed to you know purely co- collaborative artwork but Um, but yeah, that's sort of the rundown there. Um, and it wasn't really until 79, 80, late seventies, early eighties, uh, that she hit it big with a a little play that, uh, we call cloud nine. And that's going to be our deep dive. We'll get into that in just a little bit. Um,
1: I gotta say, like, I, I knew nothing about her and I'm, I'm learning along as you tell us this stuff, Scott, I mad respect for some, for a writer. That's like, I'm going to like, I know you said she put her mark on it but the collaboration with other people and rewrites and stuff I just I don't know I just like Well that's
0: I would cool. argue that the all of her work her entire body of work is based in collaboration like we'll get to a few where it's just like Words on a page, and it's like, here, director, here, actors, like, go. Like, I don't. Yeah. Women, am I right? We're the it's friggin
1: best. We the are the best. You're back. not too. Who bad. run the world? <laughs> <laughs> Just give us the Elder Wand, all right? Just give it uh, to I, us. I Let remember. us try.
4: Hey, guys. What was I watching the other day? Yeah. Who run the world? Girls.
1: Girls. girls. Women. Thank you. Yeah. I prefer women.
4: Yeah, but Beyonce. Yeah, uh, I
1: know. I love that song.
4: <laughs> I was watching. Um, in relation to uh, Mrs. America, which if you haven't checked it out on Hulu, oh, it's so it's good. so every performance, Kate. every performance in that Kate is extraordinary uh, as Phyllis Schlafly, but um, um, uh, but also Rose Byrne is gloria Steinem and and um, um, but they were talking about they were showing reels of uh, just sort of on the streets from the early mid '70s, and there's this great moment where they just find this like. This truck driver dude in New York City is mm-hmm. like, God damn, why say we let all the women run the place because we ain't done a good job of it. And it just was like- <laughs> God damn uh,
1: right. Yeah. It's like,
4: God damn true. Um, so that leads us to the plays. Um, shall we start oh! to rifle through some of these? Because I know most of our focus is on that middle sort of peak period for her and some of our later stuff. Um That's some true. of her for early plays of uh, 1958 downstairs was the play. Yeah. Um she 19... wrote
1: that while at Oxford is yeah, correct right? Correct. Well she yeah. was in
4: college, yeah. Yep. Um the other one and I think she won a big award for this was you you've no need to be frightened. You no know need to be frightened. You no, no
0: need. To need be By the way we apologize for all of these accents and I don't I'm great at this shit. And, My accent's uh,
4: great.
1: Yeah, my really? right, God, uh,
0: yeah. I'm gonna apologize for them and say all of these are trash. You don't speak.
1: My <laughs> accent's impeccable. Right, 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 right.
4: Okay. Uh, yeah. now, now, do Welsh. Now do Welsh. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, 19... <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. A wee bit of Welsh. Yeah. Um, yeah Jordy, can you do Jordy? Is. You got it got no. Go uh, no. no, I can if I hear it for like an hour. It's fine. Um, <laughs> my, I'll invoke
0: a Geordi like... uh, accent later when we talk about uh, Billy Elliot. Okay, so. Um, <laughs>
4: what? Oh, you'll see.
0: That's the, our though, John oh, episode.
2: <laughs> Rocket Man.
0: Okay, so <laughs> you've no need to be frightened. And then uh, within a year, I think she writes to her next one. Having a wonderful time.
4: Having a wonderful time. Easy death about that uh, she writes a, cu- a couple radio dramas uh the hands and Sick." Uh, i
1: actually read "Love Sick," and oh. just to give you a short little synopsis it's a fun short little play about um different kinds of relationships and it it's kind of like a central like psychiatrist type of character dealing with people that um are having he. He's trying to treat a couple of gay couples like there's something wrong with them. Meanwhile, he's trying to convince one of his patients to sleep with him. So that's kind of like interesting. Yeah, yeah. That that's it was a shorty. It was a it was like a twenty minute read. So in nice.
0: sixty, was that in sixty? Sixty nine. was oh, 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 sixty nine. Did she take a big break? I'm saying that first. there's like.
4: Is no, like seven, I think I no this this uh, this listing that we have I got from Wikipedia sort of skips around and reference to radio dramas and stuff. So
0: oh my god, um, you guys use Wikipedia for this podcast? For yeah, thank you, Wikipedia. Stuff, Everybody, oh donate to Wikipedia. I'm not listening yeah. anymore. I, I go down. Okay, well, <sighs> my favorite radio drama title actually was not 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 enough oxygen.
4: Yes, <laughs> I didn't read that's it, a good, but that's yeah. hilarious
0: that was in 71. Um
4: let's see what else do we have here. Uh she writes another play in 1960 called Identical Twins. Yeah. Um she writes one in 71 a radio drama called Abortive. Uh not 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 enough oxygen is uh 71. Owners is 72 and that seemed to be that was like her first I think that was the Royal Court Theater uh in 72. That was a full full on play which
0: um I, I got to be completely of- honest, I read about 20 pages of, or no, like 10 pages of and set down. I got really, I gotta be honest.
4: Yeah. She, she, she doesn't find her groove for a little while. Yeah. Um, It's about like rent
0: problems, like people who live in rented areas and it's, it's it's pretty British and it's fine. I,
4: I think that what happens is she works on from this intersection of social philosophy, philosophy, activism, um obviously feminism and that sort of thing and she is so steeped in uh you know CJ mentioned it earlier so steeped in in what she's seeing and reacting to uh current events you know and in you know in 72 in in, in britain you know rent was a big fucking deal yeah. um so um Let's see, uh, another radio drama in 72 called Schrieber's Nervous Illness, um, which was based on uh, memoirs of my nervous illness. Um, The Hospital at the Time of the Revolution was written in 72. Judge's Wife, another radio drama in 72. Moving Clocks Go Slow, 73. Turkish Delight, which was a TV drama in 73. Uh, Objections to Sex and Violence uh, was 1975. And that also received uh some attention. It got you know it got full productions anyway. Uh Light Shining in Buckinghamshire. Buckinghamshire. <laughs> Buckinghamshire. Buckinghamshire
1: That's my input for that play. Yeah. Buckinghamshire. I, Buckinghamshire I just, uh,
4: <laughs> We have a we have a good friend of the podcast, Guy Picot, who's okay. uh, uh uh, he's the of...
1: only British person I know
4: personally. Oh, <laughs> and he, he, he's, sla- he's slapping his forehead right now. Going, no, no, it's, no, no, it's not bad. Listen. It's not bad. It's 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 not it's not spot on, but it's not bad. Um, <laughs> 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 Light shining in Buckinghamshire. I love it. Um, next up, we have a 1976 uh, play called Vinegar Tom. Did I? Any of you? I. I had it, I, and I, I just didn't get to it. I spent. I read time Vinegar Tom
0: this. when I was at Hogwarts, when I worked in the script <laughs> library. And basically, mm-hmm. I did. I read it. Um, it's amazing. Um, this is where I feel like she's starting to kind of really tap into what she's going to end up being good at. Um, I don't remember it super well, but my basic memory is that it's sort of about the witch trials um, of England, which... I I think people kind of forget about like the fact that the Salem witch trials were like a microcosm of the giant thing that was happening in the Britons, right? It was like this horrible thing that was happening. But in Essex specifically, there was a lot of people um, burned and hung and and things like this. Uh, But it's
4: kind of- How do you know that she is a witch? Because she looks like one. yes (laughs)
0: inspiring of so much good gilliam um (laughs) i will say that um, there's a
4: she inspires a lot of gilliam later and i'm gonna bring it up that's true i can't wait to talk about that that's
0: exciting okay there's a
4: lot of moments in
2: brazil Um,
0: that are very oh real i didn't even think of that yeah holy fuck just oh we got to get into that okay oh yeah okay okay we'll get there
4: girl girl we gotta girl. there
0: but vinegar tom um speaking of is just uh the thing i remember most about it is that it's sort of like a reaction to the women's rights act right which i don't hmm. know what year that was 70 something um in england there was like a women's rights act where they were like we're not getting enough rights let's talk about this and they were like oh yeah we should talk about that uh so she sort of wrote this play six years later but it's set in the victor or the, um, not Victorian, in the witch trials, but they're all wearing modern dress, Ooh. which is like kind of cool. Um, and it's like very, very Brechtian, as we will talk about, I'm sure, a hundred more times, but she uses a lot of song. And she's yeah. like constantly reminding you you're watching a play, blah, 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 Brecht. Um, but I love it. Great play.
4: All right. Nice. And I, yeah, I want to. Vinegar Tom is out. the name
0: of, of a familiar. Of one of the witches. And uh, yeah, so if you're into like his dark materials or anything like that, it's kind of like that. That's a demon, a
4: demon, Bailey? It's a demon. It's, it's a familiar. A it's the same thing. It's and a it's a demon. Da- da- <laughs> unless you're Trump, in Scott, unless I introduced in you to those books. Fucking England, you, and then it's. Well, a, you, you didn't introduce me to them, but you, you, you made me read them, and I am forever and eternally grateful. Remember when Lin-Manuel
0: Miranda's really bad in that HBO series? Okay, so... uh, I I have not
4: watched it yet intentionally, but I finished... Just know that he's bad. That's all you need to know. Digression. Uh, I finished uh Golden Compass and I literally sat and, and texted CJ going, I cannot see lin Manuel Miranda in any of these parts. Not I a single bad role. For him. Sam
0: Elliott played it in the horrible movie and it worked perfectly. The, yeah, no, the,
1: that's a perfect movie. The movie for him. had an amazing cast yeah. and it just they it's th- the writers, the directors, they fucked it up. I don't blame the cast. All three Bums people who
0: listen to this, who care about this, are loving this, but everyone oh, yes. else doesn't give a fix.
4: So we should move on to Traps. So next, uh, next she writes a, a play called Traps in 1976. Uh, in 78, she writes a television drama called uh, The After Dinner Joke. Um, she writes a play called Seagulls in 1978. Then in 1979, Cloud Nine,
1: I just want to point out, before we get into Cloud 9. I
4: hear an ice cream truck. MS-13. Is there an ice cream truck? MS. It has
1: shown up on my block. (laughs) And they pull up every day for 20 minutes, and they Uh. play loud. One day I counted it. I listened to Brahms' lullaby 60
4: times. (laughs) Oh, in one day? Have you ever gone and gotten ice cream?
1: No, but I have driven by and noticed that they don't just sell ice cream
4: no it. No. <laughs> no we don't need to and
1: i and i'm not even talking like anything illegal i'm saying like practical household shit Calculators. is what i'm saying yeah, I
0: rope
1: twine <laughs> scotch tape
0: it's
1: so a neighborhood things to service.
0: kidnap people with great oh my God. <laughs> so, here's the i thing. kidnap
1: a lot of people with scotch tape
0: same <laughs> Uh, wow. Which is exactly yeah. what Cloud Nine is about. Which is Cloud our. It's not uh, It's not about, it's not about that. That's it is. what it's, it's about. totally about. That we're about to talk about how it's about kidnappings. Nineteen seventy nine.
4: Cloud Nine debuts at the Royal Court uh, Theater. Um, it. Um, I. You know what? I don't have the full production history. I just have bits and pieces. Here
0: I have. Not... I have an actual script right in front of me. Let's see if it says anything on the inside. I read this in college. I had early, already read a few of hers, uh, and then I had to read this in a script analysis class. Mm. Um, the good oh, yeah. one, not the bad. The one at Hogwarts. Which How was nice great. for you. Yes. Um, let's see. Uh, first performed at Dartington College of the Arts. Interesting. Uh, by the Joint Stock Theater Group. The revised edition there we was Performed at the Royal Court Theater in a co-production with Joint Stock. Uh, and the original Royal Court... Uh, cast. Um, we have Graham Garden, Ron Cook, Anthony O'Donnell, Harriet Walter, Ann Nye, Maggie Steed, and Hugh Fraser. Uh, Fraser. And um, I don't know but one of those names, so I can't speak to any of that, but that sounds like... Um, a good
4: you've seen many of them. Yeah, I'm sure. Movies and
0: yeah,
1: I'm, I'm sure saying, that's yeah. a deal with all of the Brits that are in all of these shows. Too. I gotta Very be honest, old. I'm bad
0: with British actors. I know, you know, I know the mainstays, but I don't, there's a, God, I need to be better about that. I,
1: there's a couple I, I got really excited got. about when I was looking at original productions throughout, and I, I I, made a note of all of them, so, but not for Cloud9, so let's do it.
4: Cloud9. This
0: is, in fact, our deep dive, and also, it's also our uh, namesake of the podcast, Pod9. Uh, yeah. Fucking hilarious, right, guys? Fucking
4: hilarious. Yeah. We're doing that. Um, so let's get So in. <laughs> yeah, let's, I was just, yeah, I was going to say like, it, it's, it's, it's tricky to describe. Um, and it's awesome to behold. Mm-hmm. And, and it was, it's a fun read too. Yeah. Like yes. especially, but the first act. Well, so basically, uh, the play is set in, in Victorian times in Africa. First act. Uh, what? First act. First act. Yeah. Uh, The second act is modern times, so 1979, 1980, with the same characters, but for the characters, only 25 years have passed. Um, And then all the casting switches from the first act to the second act, uh, including gender swapping and um, yeah, So just real quick, let's break that down. So basically in act one, you have the character of Clive, who is a colonial administrator in Africa. And he's Um, hilarious. Yes. (laughs) Um, His wife, Betty, who is played by a man, um, she says uh, in some of the articles and intros that I read that the intention was, was that Betty is cast as a man because she wants to be a man um and huh. she, she yearns for that so that was the reason for that choice which... or
0: or not even that she wants to be a man specifically gender wise but that she wants to be what men want her correct. to correct right? yes she, like absolutely. literally has a line where she's like i am what uh you know a, ma- a man wants me to be so i am a man basically you know like i don't remember what it is but it's like a rhyming couplet of sorts that sort of states that but yeah
4: right um so here then then we get into the character of joshua who's a black servant um but it's distinctly played by a white actor um similar idea the idea that um some and this character specifically is kind of enamored of um the imperials uh kind of rejects his own people um
1: well you know how i i saw it as well just um joining and blending in and working with the white people, because that's like how he can survive is, is also kind of the feeling I got with it as well.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
0: And it's kind of doing the same thing as the woman thing. Right. So he, his line is what white men want is what I want to be. Right. And then I actually found her line, which is I am a man's creation as you see. And what men want is what I want to be.
2: Mm. Yes. Mm. Yeah. So um. obviously,
0: very on purpose to do this thing. Um, I think it's really easy without reading the play at first to be kind of offended by that, right? Especially in 2020, there's there's that part of you that's like, ooh, ooh, okay.
1: I was weighing that kind of the whole time. But I of think, like, would this work now? Would it not?
0: But, at, but she's also – that's the point, right, is that she's commenting on it. It's the Brechtian thing where it's like, I'm reminding you you're oh, watching sorry, a play. Oh, I'm sorry. I met
1: Joshua, actually. Sorry. Right,
0: right. But she, there's that part of her that's just sort of um, pointing at it in the way that's making you uncomfortable. She wants you to feel mm-hmm. uncomfortable. There's It's reminding you you're watching a play, reminding you that you are meant to take something away from this. Uh, it's interesting. I don't know that mm-hmm. – I, I don't know. I don't know how
4: oh, to... I feel. I – yeah, I I feel like well, let's finish breaking down the rest of the cast and then we can circle yeah, sorry, through. because sorry. some All of right. this So, uh then you have the character of Edward, who is Clive's son and that is played by a woman and he is mm, uh, a pre-tween, a pre-tween, a pre-teen. Right. He's like 12, 13 is the is the feeling it's you.
1: Problematic get. no matter what.
4: <laughs> well, yeah, and again, there's there's some weird sexual tension. Um but it's played by a woman, uh Victoria who is Clive and Betty's daughter um, is simply a ventriloquist dummy uh, <laughs> and is passed around and is probably the most uh, brilliantly um, slap in the face kind of uh, yeah. metaphor that you can come up yes. with. Um, Maud is um, Clive's Bold. mother-in-law, Betty's mother. Mm-hmm. Um, Ellen is, um, Edward's governess and the same actress who plays Edward's governess usually also plays Mrs. Saunders, who is a widow, um, who lives at a, a nearby fellow estate, if you will, in Africa. Um, then you have the character of Harry Bagley, who's an explorer and a friend of Clive's, um, who is distinctly British man explore uh and also um but <laughs> uh, and also gay um or at least but all bisexual. over
1: the place too <laughs> all over the
4: bisexual yeah uh, you know. um but then in act two which takes place again in modern times betty is now played by a woman in act two um it's normally the same actress who plays edward the son in the first act um edward is now played um by um Uh, a man it's normally the same actor who plays betty the wife in the first act uh Mm -hmm. victoria who was the doll uh the ventriloquist dummy in the first act is now played by the normally played by the actress who plays maud um martin who is victoria's husband uh is normally played by the same actor who plays harry who by the way Uh, is
0: basically like he goes on and on about like being a feminist well, yes, constantly yes. fucking women who aren't his wife. And then yes. he, he has this amazing line that he says. He says, I'm writing a novel about women from the women's yes. point of view. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Like, how many
1: men have said that amazing. in history.
4: <laughs> uh, I mean, how hard could it be? You know what yeah. I'm how saying? How hard could it be? <laughs> we <laughs>
2: are one dimensional. <laughs> uh,
4: wow. I'm the worst. Um, you have, then have the character of Lynn, who's a lesbian single mother who begins a relationship uh, with Victoria, um, and that's normally played by the same actress who plays Ellen and Mrs. Saunders in the first act. Um, then you have the character of Kathy, who's Lynn's daughter. She's age five, and she's played by a man, and she's normally, uh, normally the same actor who plays Clive in the first act. Uh, and then this isn't character... confusing at all. It's not. No. Uh, and then Jerry, who's Edward's lover, normally played by the same actor who plays Joshua. So, yeah, it gets uh, it gets complicated. And um, but it's also for all that explaining that I had to do. It's. It, it. I. I think that you you calibrate very quickly, especially after the first act. Yeah. I usually in the, the two or three productions I've seen of it, it normally, cause they, there's also different configurations to the casting that are done and have been done. But normally it takes me, you know, it's usually Betty. It's usually once I accept that Betty is a woman being played by a man and that that is supposed to have meaning, then I normally calibrate to the first act. And then in the second act, once you see the guy who plays Clive playing a five-year-old girl, uh, and I guess I guess Tony Shepherd. That was the
1: one that kept making me laugh out loud. Oh was my the, god, it was a yeah. Oh my
4: god, it would be such a blast. Oh, it would be so fun to
2: play.
1: Well, and here's my question. Is this kind of like son timey into the woodsy type of like the double casting? Like other than other than seeing Betty being played by a man and I action, think is the double casting, you know, like I'm saying something by doing this double casting. I think thing. that definitely she's, has
0: a purpose. Yeah,
4: yeah. I think she leans. I think. I think in in something like Into the Woods, it's more of a mm, a convention or a device in order to you know, maintain the the size of the cast and 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 all of that. In this, every production I've seen leans heavy into it. It becomes very Brechtian. Yeah. Uh, to use big sweeping words and I uh, got there'll be 500 emails about you know well brechtian epic theater is actually do we have 500 people
2: listening yes i
4: think we've had maybe to- total listens so <laughs> well i, I and, i'm hoping for 500 and emails and 10
1: of them are my mom i recently
4: and, did um, listen
0: to on i mean not listen to i read um brecht on theater because uh before all of this quarantine time, i was set to direct 3 penny three penny opera uh, with two cents theater group. And I was already planning uh, production meetings and things and getting on my way, structuring it and meeting with the choreographer. And it was, I was, it was very exciting. So I was like, I'm going to read on theater again. I haven't read it since college. And I put it down one night and I stopped and just said, I fucking hate Brecht. Like, I love I love the <laughs> concepts. In fact, I, I constantly write in what I guess you can call Brechtian way, where you're like, you know, we're watching a play, right? You know, like, I, I, I love that kind of style, but I hate him. He thinks every audience is so fucking stupid. And I think that's, like, my biggest... Oh, I had. A, I
1: already uh, know a half dozen theater nerds that are pissed. I
0: know. I know. <laughs> I had. I had because honestly, I've always, I've been the guy who is who would stand up for Brecht until I reread it and I went, you know what?
4: I don't know if I like him anymore.
0: That's a whole other conversation. It's a whole other thing. Well, but-
4: it is and it isn't because as we get into a deeper discussion about her, yeah. um, I, f- I think to say that she. What Brecht was trying to do was be accessible to people, to be accessible to the common man. Sure. Um, and I mean that in very sweeping terms. There are plays that Carol Churchill wrote that if you brought a common person into that theater, they would be mad and walk out and not, and yeah. they would uh. feel like they were being condescended to and talked down to. Sure. And, and I, I, I think that that's where she starts to split from her, her Brechtian Epic, capital epic thing. Agreed. Um, Because I don't think ever I would ever ever say that Carol Churchill ever condescends to her audience. No, she demands more knowledge and information and processing. And maybe that's
0: what I'm. And this is this might be so arrogant and pretentious, but like maybe that's why I sort of was falling off the Brecht and falling into the Churchill more is like, no, I want, I want the challenge of it. And that might be a theater nerd's perspective, you know, and an mm-hmm. and everyday person going into a theater may not want that. They might want the escapism, right? They might want the sort of, uh, uh, the entertainment of it all rather than the uh i might be changed i might you know i might walk out with a new understanding of theater and myself right um <laughs> so I, that's that's what's interesting to her can i speak on the um the race thing
4: yes let's yeah let's yeah
1: do it bailey do talk it race. right so
0: yes <laughs> i mean okay here's my kind of my whole bit about cloud nine in general. I had a lot of mixed feelings about it. Okay. I, oh. I remember really liking it when I read it in college, except for the fact that I had to read it. So there was like that little part of me. was like, eh, this sucks. and like you a paper on whatever.
4: You're not going to tell me yeah. you do nothing. But,
0: I, <laughs> but basically I just, uh, when I was rereading it, I was like, I'm going to wipe that from my mind. I'm really going to focus on it. And I think, spoiler alert it's not gonna make one of my top three churchills yeah it's just uh it's really interesting i like it a lot but uh this is my take on the race and the sexuality part of it all and gender part of it all which is that especially because of the time she's speaking to a white hetero audience right for the most part so there's just that's who she's trying to uh get this message uh out to right which is which is legit these are the people that need to hear it uh but in doing so i feel like messing with heteronormative ideas in a way that it's messing with heteronormative ideas in a way that i think we've moved past and as a society in a lot of ways and i think especially in theater circles we've moved past like kind of any way of this being weird like right yeah. like um mm. you know somebody being gay being so weird and yeah. so different and uncomfortable and i think she would agree if confronted with that question now but i'm just trying to speak to like does this still work in 2020 you dropping well, shit? You know, that not, was uh... me
1: sorry i just i wanted to add something and you yeah go kidding. go ahead um yeah. <laughs> No, I kind of thought of that myself which uh with when I was thinking back like I think this would be something that you'd be saying more oh god, I'm going to be worried that I say the wrong thing. At this time it would be gay rights as opposed to LGBTQIA rights. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Cuz it was a, it was way more one-dimensional than it is now.
0: In terms of the way we talked about
4: it. Yes. Yes,
1: yes. yes.
4: Yeah, I mean Yes, there's 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 certainly some um, dated elements of it. I think that for me, um, you, you also have to keep in mind that you're not too far away from you know men being imprisoned for for being gay. That's right. that's less sure. than that's right. less than Absolutely. a decade, and. So, yeah, I think that there, <laughs> I think there are elements of it that would still seem, qu- still seem quaint. I think what remains impactful for me in, in watching it, and it's very intellectual. It's a very like in my head kind of thing, but right. is, is the, the weight and the pressure that are put onto gender that are still placed on gender roles. Um, And I think that that still resonates today. I think that there's moments in that second act, you know, especially between, um, you know, Victoria and Lynn and, and Martin and, and Edward, all of them that are just like, also there's, um, I think um, one of the things that we tend not to talk about is, um, uh, the ageism in terms of sexuality and talking right. about sexuality. Mm. So when you start talking about, you know, um, um, what's her name? Um, not Maude. Who's in the second act? Uh, uh, Betty. Yeah, mm-hmm. Betty, Betty. Betty in the second act. You know that her age is somehow this uh, hindrance to her sexuality that is distinctly put on women that is not put on men at all. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there's still plenty of it. I think that that resonates and I think that it's so, especially that first act, man, that first act is so fucking funny and so slappy yeah, in the hilarious. face with some of its yes. moments. Um, you know, and then there's there's weird stuff in in the second act that I've never it's funny because CJ <laughs> CJ Why
1: me, incest? Why
4: incest Why? I, and I remember dealing with that when I first had seen it and read it in 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 college, you know, a long time and ago. And
1: she never deals with it. It's never dealt no, with No, but
4: that's but that's
0: the I but I think the way that you're reacting to incest is the way that people reacted to homosexuality a lot of the time at the time you know what I mean so it's sort of like the way that you're like oh man incest why did she do that it's sort of like it's on the same level at the time like there's no you know Uh, and also
1: enough I just it turns me off of that because I'm in for that like in well let's see what year was it it was 79 and they're talking about Um, bisexual polyamorous relationships like that's that's so ahead that's so out there and ahead of its time but I was just like why incest why does that have to be a part of it
4: there might be a little presentism in 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 that point of view CJ not to be critical of your point of view because I think that where I ended up after reading it again for this was that it wasn't so much about polyamory or bisexuality or even incest that it was about cohabitation and this sort of right based on personal experiences to define your own parameters
1: but what about the whole witchy drunken sex scene that they kind of started well into? they can like... have
4: a good time too i'm just saying I I'm ah, ju- I I just I,
1: disagree I, with you. I d-
4: and and fine and and i more than understand. I'm not going to sit here and defend incest. I mean, you know. You I know. guess
1: it's because I mean maybe I can't remember if it was a review. It wasn't the Wikipedia entry that I read with this, but it, it, they they talk about how. Edward, Victoria, and Lynn are in a bisexual polyamorous relationship, and maybe that's what ruined it for me, as opposed to. But this all is of a these bisexual things... man living with two other women, and one of them happens to be his sister. I, you know, right. I don't know.
0: But all of these no, things that we're mentioning are things that now we like. We have friends that are polyamorous, right? We have friends that are uh, full throughout the entire spectrum of LGBTQIA plus. You know, like we. Mm-hmm. So we are at a place where we're like all of these things are very normative to us but somebody if you handed this to maybe like a kid in the south or the midwest might read it and be like so appalled right so i think i think it's a it's it's a, it in fact is pointing at all of these things as things that we as society or or have in the past or do now um at the time in the 70s but even now put a stigma on right so it, whether the spec the spectrum goes from just polyamory or bisexuality, which is whatever to us, or all the way down to incest, right? And so it's it's sort of the question of where is the line where you kind of fall off and stop. St- it, it, it's all just to bring up these questions. Having sex like, with, I don't with a sibling—that's
1: where I draw the line.
0: <laughs> yeah, agreed, agreed. <laughs> I think that's legit, but that's the comments, right? That you right. had to draw a line there, and <laughs> somebody might draw the line after that.
1: Right? Some weirdo. Come um, on.
0: In your opinion. <laughs> I, okay. I'm kidding. I will never defend him. <laughs> I feel like this is the third time we've invoked it on the podcast. So <laughs> no big um, deal. No to, big
4: deal. To circle around real quick back to the, the, uh, the race thing, I, I think that yes. you, today, if you were to do it, what colorblind casting would you do that doesn't impact... Churchill's intentions
0: well let me tell you about the one uh, performance I saw of it which decided to cast Joshua as the same actor in both acts and he was a black man Mm
1: -hmm. okay okay
0: so does that completely negate the entirety of his um no I don't uh of his character and like the point of him and everything actually no in my opinion because at the time uh I had read it but didn't wasn't like completely sold on it. And so I remember being like, oh, that's an interesting choice, but I wasn't offended by it. I wasn't like, oh my God, you've done it differently than how she intended, you know, but it did feel safe. It did feel very like, oh, we can't do that. So let's just make sure that this actor plays this part in both acts Mm. and that it's a black person, but then it was all white people. So then it felt a little, Like, oh, we got to go find a black person to play the black person. And then it kind of negated everything that the play is about, in my opinion. I
1: guess, okay, okay, this was my take on Joshua. I guess making him a black man that was played by a white man was just saying, this character is just as bad as a white colonialist. And I just personally, I don't agree with that. But again, I mean- I, I don't necessarily know what the fuck I'm talking about. That's just kind of how I took I it when I it. don't think any of us it.
0: do yeah, with Churchill. Well, yeah. I think it's all opinion and speculation. But I, I would say that it, the only way to do it now to answer your question, Scott, is you have to colorblind cast the whole thing. And it has to be very specifically non-white people huh. to make okay. it I
4: mean, in a way. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of stuff that you could do that doesn't particularly matter. I think making, sure. having, doing... A, a black person or an Indian person in in talking about British imperialism as like right, Martin right. as playing Martin in act two and Harry in the first act might be interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, Cause the, the, you, you're, you can, I think that's the interesting thing about the play, I guess, is that you can kind of start to tweak with these things, not change her overall, um,
1: Carol, right in. Tell us what you've been thinking.
4: Yeah, please, Miss Churchill. Yeah, please. <laughs> um, and so I think there's a few things that you could do that would uh, that could reinvent and breathe br- breathe a little bit more life into it. Because in the second act, well, race always matters, but in the second act, I think it, it matters far less and would be just as interesting to see uh, you know Martin or Jerry as as being played by a black man as 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 anything else but but no fair point um um she gets a little more into like
0: the way that um colonialism affected uh the sexuality of other uh countries or races or whatever it may be or peoples uh There's... and in that play pigs and dogs Is that what yes i was gonna say sidebar uh,
1: yeah. this comes up later we'll because that's
0: one of my favorite reads actually. Well, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah it was a good one you mm-hmm. told me to read it, it was great
4: and it um, it it so impacts you know her critique of British imperialism, which at mm-hmm. that point there in in British history there's this you know, huge struggle going on between the rejection of that, the consequences yeah. of that, the idea that you know the idea of you know Kipling's white man's burden and all that right you felt felt throughout, and the notion. And I see what she distinctly what she was doing then with with the Joshua character, the idea mm. that you had to almost hypnotize, um, whether it was in India or Africa or wherever in the world that they were, the idea that this was for their own good, you know, right, and all right, that. Right. Yeah, this is you, this is for you. we're better we than we know you. what's best. We know it's best, and we're better than you. So why wouldn't? You, th- with that becomes you know the, I guess the Uncle Toms for lack of a better word, Joshua distinctly rejects the these are he says it these are not my people these are bad people they've con- they've convinced him in his head, um, although I think he's got a lot more um, uh, ownership sort of you know as individual um, drive than that because he you know all the fucking around he does <laughs> especially with Betty is like. Is awesome for sure yeah but yeah, yeah it's um um you know but it's fucking it's it's cloud nine you know uh, and to recognize yeah. you know it, it was pretty fucking ballsy at the time and place groundbreaking to do this, yeah. you know can i yeah. just
1: say what my favorite i actually had a lot of one-liners from the show that i love but the There's one that i'm going to use from uh-huh. now on yeah. yeah, It was in Act 2, Puking Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> uh, mine, puking I'm going to start
0: telling people that I'm writing a, a feminist play from the point of view of a, of a female. That's nice, my new favorite. Nice,
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one, too. Yeah.
4: Um, mine, uh, you can't separate fucking and economics. <laughs> Ooh. I almost yeah. spit out my corn whiskey. Just
1: <laughs> Scott wins. Yeah, that's um, good.
4: Are, are we sh- shall we move on from from cloud nine shall we shall we play the song I want to play yeah. Pam's song because
0: I think it's actually related Sing to, us, to Cloud Pamela.
4: Nine. Yeah. Sing it, it is, is, dis- is dist uh, it is distinctly uh It is distinctly Cloud Nine. <laughs> and, it's, <laughs> and it's very funny. It's great. We love it. Uh so um, uh we're gonna take a quick break and we're gonna uh outro this segment on Cloud Nine, uh our deep dive, and uh and hand it over to our dear friend uh Pamela Quinn. Uh Ooh. here's her original song yes. for this podcast. Uh, And uh, an homage to Carol Churchill and (laughs) Cloud Nine. Here we go.
3: Men are playing women and women are playing men. Black is white and white is black and Mrs. Saunders is Ellen. Sons are played by daughters and daughters played by sons. Lovers, husbands, single moms, two acts instead of one Oh, gender, sexuality, racial stereotypes This curtain shines the light on all the wrongs you thought were right.
4: Fucking Yas. brilliant. Pamela Quinn. Uh, <laughs> I love that It's fucking song.
0: great. It's hilarious. And you know what? They're always good and I always enjoy them, but this one I've actually a few times put on in my car and bumped. Yeah. When I'm yeah. Like <laughs> on the to the grocery store. big <laughs> so, knows. I yeah, can't wait till we have catchy.
4: we actually have her on the show. I'm very excited. We will,
0: and in fact, it's coming. Uh, it is coming. She's gonna be. Uh, we're gonna wait to have guests until we're out of quarantine. Yeah, but uh, because it's yeah, just we're too zooming
4: much. all this.
2: by yeah, way. It's we're, just, we're,
4: we're we're scattered throughout. Isn't the Isn't it of great? Even
2: though we're doesn't zooming? it sound so fucking isn't good? Like we're in the same great.
4: fucking room. Shut your mouth. All right. <laughs> it's
3: wonderful. But speaking of, I
0: think she's, Marley. her first uh, episode that she's going to be coming on, uh, which, you know, this gives away some of what we're going to be doing. But every sixth episode, so we'll do five playwrights. And then every sixth episode, we're going to do like a special episode it's where special. we actually uh, focus on something a little more pop culture based. And our first one, which will not have Pam because it won't be out of quarantine time, will be Plays That Are Movies. Plays that have been made into movies, but then yeah. our next sixth one will be a. We'll be able to have Pam on, and that's going to be movie musicals. Ooh, she very specifically she'll asked perfect to be for on the that. Screen. She's <laughs> perfect for it. She's got a mind for it. She also writes incredible songs, as you've heard, uh, and medleys uh, using and plays. Broadway musicals and play. Oh my god! Much and like Churchill, playwright.
1: Girls got she herself
0: is a playwright. Uh, yes. In fact, why I know her is that I I was in a reading of one of her plays, just like uh, by chance. Uh, that, sh- that was had at a house and I fell in love with the script and then we became friends. And it's actually the reason I even got involved at Sacred Fool. Is she brought me there first. So, now that's why we Thanks, know each Camilla. other and why this podcast exists. Thank you, P, which is what I call her. Okay. Thank
4: you. Moving Isn't on. is Pam? I'm gonna fucking beat <laughs> the
0: shit out of you <laughs> with a hundred foot pole.
2: Okay. P. Social distancing
0: ass beating. Um... So what the fuck did she write after Cloud Nine?
4: Uh, she wrote three more Sleepless Nights in 1980, which I'm not familiar with. Did anyone read it?
1: I did anyone not get it? that one. No. Ah,
4: well, fuck us. Jesus. We could. There was. There was too much. There was too much. Like uh, she. Over 30. She is, Quite prolific. She is a thesis. A, a, a full semester's academic course all by yeah. herself, Mrs. Yeah. Churchill. And... Yes. But her next big hit, which uh, remains along with Cloud Nine, still sort of one of her her preeminent works, Top Girls. Um, mm, I love it. Man, I'll tell you what, I, I think that this was the one without question that had the biggest emotional impact on me.
3: For sure. Hmm.
4: Uh, where I really... F- that. That final fucking act, that final fucking scene is just Ugh. like, it. It's brutal and it yeah drives you into the ground. Heartbreaking. And well,
1: it's funny because I was like, yeah, happens all the time.
0: No, absolutely. I think that's that's a real thing. I think so us people being... people
4: give their babies to their sisters.
0: Yes. All the time. Yeah. <laughs> all the fucking time. But I think there is a part of it that where um, maybe you and I, Scott, might. Have our jaws on the floor, and perhaps you know someone who identifies as female might be like, "Yeah, now you know. (laughs) Now Uh, you know.
2: Now you
0: know. Now you get it. You know." And I think that's exactly what this play did for me, um, and put it, you know, raised it real high up to the top of my list. Uh, But basically, Top Girls is about, fuck, what is it about? It's it's sort of like about a female temp agency, right? But it begins. It's narrative surrounding a meal, like a birthday celebration
4: of some kind. Yeah, I got it. It's a, it's a new job it. celebration, actually. That's what it is. That's right. I, that's right. Have, I have a little synopsis. Uh, it's, oh, it's I would cent- love to hear it. It centers around Marlene, a career-driven woman who is heavily invested in women's success in business. The play examines the roles available to women in modern society and what it means uh, or takes for a woman to succeed. It also mm. dwells heavily on the cost of ambition and the influence of Thatcherite politics on feminism. That's, you know, it's, (laughs) man. Yeah, because Buck Margaret Thatcher, by the way. Buck I, my Th-
1: only introduction to Margaret Thatcher was Austin Powers thing when he's trying to get over his boner and he's like Margaret <laughs> Thatcher naked on a cold day. That's my only. In- that's, that's my only information on Margaret Thatcher until like the last ten years. Well, she you never been. saw
0: Iron Lady, one she, of Meryl's.
1: I haven't. I, I haven't. She's, no,
0: fine so stuck fine. Movies, she, she's fine. Suck at movies. She's mediocre at best. But I will say this. Uh, oh, the movie
4: and, is, but her, she's fine. Yeah.
0: I will say this is not um, uh, my point about Billy Elliot at all. But actually, there's a whole entire song called Merry Christmas, Maggie Thatcher about Mm -hmm. Billy Elliot. I told you I'd bring up Billy Elliot, but this is not the point. Uh, But there's a whole that Merry Christmas, Maggie Thatcher, fuck you, fuck you too. Or something. I don't remember the words, but it's basically that. Um, And I've been in it twice and I can't remember the fucking words. But the the basic idea is like they have this giant puppet of her that comes out from behind the puppet show and it's huge and they're all just like fuck you and like you know flipping her off and flipping uh the backwards peace sign what's that called i don't know that's a thing right uh it's very is uh, it backwards or upside
1: down because backwards would be the same thing fuck if i know it's anarchy i don't
4: know it's the anarchy symbol right i thought that was i don't
1: know i don't know anarchist right in
0: all I know is they and uh, anarchy it's a... for
4: the U.K. <laughs>
1: that's it. I
0: got my exactly. Pistols in.
1: Hey, I but just basically... listened. I'm sorry. Never go on. Never mind.
0: <laughs> I want to hear what you listen to. Actually, fuck me.
1: <laughs> I no, no no. I just listened to the the Sid and Nancy. My favorite murder, and they were talking. Uh, that's all. That's all. That's all. That's all. That's all.
0: I need I love Sid and Nancy. That.
4: Man, Never those, seen the
1: movie, but I liked that episode of MFM. Good. Ooh,
4: those it's performances. Really that, you're exhausted by the time that movie's done. Gary Oldman. young Gary yeah. Oldman. And what's her Oldman name? at his best?
1: Sidebar for an upcoming. My Carol
4: second favorite play. Oldman performing.
1: Right. What? I we'll get to it. Oh okay, shit.
0: Fine. Okay. Uh Top Girls. The thing, uh, the top about, girls. Uh, top girls. Um S- The smoke. thing I really liked about it.
4: Yeah, go for it. <laughs> Please. I'm sorry.
0: Uh I think it's it's very feminist uh but something that actually uh my friend pointed out to me uh not me uh but uh she basically said she said she, she didn't want her name mentioned on the pod so shout out to anonymous um but basically uh she said it is feminist bailey but it, i'm quoting her it is feminist bailey but also it shows the negative aspects of women it's socialist feminism and i was like oh i i like that description and i started figuring out what she meant by that and then i started realizing that whole first scene, the whole first act, the the, the talking over each other, the thing that we'll, – which we should talk about how difficult that is to read uh, in general. But that whole idea of talking over each other um, is sort of what she meant by that. And I'm really excited to talk about that and just Churchill's
1: well, am play I, with speech. My sidebar to that, really fast, you guys were talking yeah. about like kind of what twisted the knife for you in the show. The thing that twisted the knife for me was – uh, act one scene two where she's in an interview with a woman she's like by the way are you getting married are you planning on having a yeah. baby mm-hmm. well you don't want to tell your new boss that 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 to yeah. me was it's that turnaround of like it, it turns out that uh sometimes maybe even most of the time well no, I'm not i shouldn't say most of the time sometimes women are our worst advocates mm. um i think sure. that is sure. also of that time i think that's something that People are, I mean, obviously people are talking about way more now, but that was the thing that twisted the knife for me about this play.
4: Yeah. It, yeah, And um, I think
0: that's definitely still a problem today for sure.
4: Oh God, yeah. Oh, I think, yeah. Um, so the first act of the play we should tell people is the character, the lead character of Marlene is throwing a dinner party, but the first act is distinctly surreal in in its approach in that she is, surrounded by historic women who um, overcame the odds or worked against the odds uh, in order to succeed or thrive in a patriarchal structure. So it it, it talks about the, all the stories are sort of brutal in terms of, of how they, you know, and why should it be that way? why should it seem right. like this monumental conquest because a woman wants to travel the world why should it seem like a monumental conquest when a woman wants to be pope or wants to be you know right, she, right. She
1: gets because it's catholicism and they don't like women i mean it's the same with the well, sect yes. of lutheranism i grew up in there are just still some churches that don't like women in charge and that's yeah. it and still in 2020 don't like women in charge. <laughs>
0: yeah. Joan now, the Pope I, is my favorite character for sure. By the it's way, fantastic. she's great,
4: and yeah. and all the the actresses in it also return and play modern characters right. Right. as the play goes on. I my criticism is <clears throat> this was the like I I know, I don't feel like she's talking down to me, but I do feel like if I don't walk in with 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 a knowledge of who these historic women were. Then I'm kind of fucked, and i I literally other than Pope Joan and um what's her name, the Explorer woman, I had to look them all up. I didn't know who the fuck they were, yeah. like they were all real people and and perhaps I should, and maybe that she's also making comment on that like um
1: well, and here's actually... my response to that too was it's like who are my thought was like could we could could this be rewritten or redone now with different women from history because i mean what i honestly did i listened to this i didn't read it i i looked it up and i saw who the characters were you know and just read just a little bit of backstory about them to know what the hell they were talking about
0: well in my copy of the script i had a physical copy um i don't know where i got it some uh thrift store or something i uh was going through it. and at the, the beginning it actually breaks down who all these women are. Mm-hmm. And it, it, wasn't like an additional prologue or anything. It's like something that comes with the script if you buy it. So I think it's, um, I think there's an intention, an intentional an intentionality. What's the word I'm thinking. It's intentional, uh, for her to sort of pick these women that we don't really know that we kind of, we don't really know their stories and we're, being introduced to them in a way in this play, mm-hmm. uh, and I don't know that anyone even at that time, even in, in uh, you know British circles, I don't think knew who any of these women were except maybe Joan the Pope and, and, and the explorer. Right, like there's there's like a vague memory of every name. I'm sort of like, oh, I guess I know who that is, but do I? Not really. So I I think that's part of it. I think that's part of the uh, the structure of it, and definitely on purpose. Um, what I really love about this play, and this is a Carol Churchill quote, actually, is that she was trying to create a new structure to actively fight the patriarchal structure that she believed was innate in storytelling. Mm. So Mm. she's fighting that sort of... The poetics, Aristotle-based narrative, right? I did the hell out of that. This is how this... (laughs) I know, right? This is actually... She said this in an interview where she was talking about... Here's the thing, like, we... We've been told this is how stories are made. Who told us that? The people who created stories. Who were allowed to create stories? The in the Greeks, right? It yeah. was the men. It was Homer. It was you know. It's it's not it's not um, based in anything but a patriarchal world. So she was like, well, what if I fight? that structure completely by creating my own structure fuck structure fuck the way that people talk fuck the way that you know like whatever it may be and what i for at first when reading it and i think i texted you guys this was i was just like this is the hardest play to read
4: well especially that first just, scene it,
0: because she
2: created
0: this oh yeah exactly it she created this new thing which many uh uh, playwrights now use. I know Lebute uses it a ton and yeah. fuck Lebute but like he uses it a ton and, and, and different <laughs> people use it where the interruptions with the slash yeah, really though, but they, you know, and they tell you uh, where to interrupt. Right. But then she uses this other device with the asterisks, right. Where she's putting them in places where a thought continues later and so when you're reading it alone without a group of people to read it out loud, it's the most confusing bullshit you've ever read in your entire life. And well, I was just like, I don't know what's to it, going and, on. And, else, and you, just
4: said it, you just said it absolutely correctly. Like, it's the only point in this process that I got mad. And But I generally get mad at playwrights who do this anyway. I'm, I'm going to put, I'm going to use all lowercase. I'm going to, I'm uh, like, if, if you if your line starts in the middle of the page and that means that you like, like, fuck you, write a play and tell me a story. Like, you, you don't need to do this. Like, and so I would there was nothing, there, there's nothing, there's nothing in that, there's nothing in that play that needed that. She could have written it out exactly how she wanted to do it. And and so it becomes this difficult construct. I I love the overlapping. No, she didn't. She 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 gave you instructions. She gave you the this this template. Like I should be able to open up a play and read a play and understand what's going on without having to fucking you know. Look at, like, you know, instruction manual. I would agree in
0: one way that I think it would be it would be easier <laughs> to read if there was, like, side-by-side dialogue, right? Where I was like, I understand that these things are overlapping. It's just that when you're using the punctuation, I get so lost in who's talking about what, which is kind of on purpose, but that's why it's not meant to be read, right? Like, you listen to it, CJ. I watched it. I found the actual right. filmed version of it, the BBC one, and I watched it. And it is not only incredible, and the OG cast, and the OG director, and it's like fucking Ooh. insane. But it's also, and I highly recommend it, but also they, they do an interview with Churchill about it. And when you're watching it, you totally get what she's trying to do. It's this idea that they're constantly talking over each other because they're only hearing what is important to themselves. Right. So if you're speaking and then I start speaking over you, but you keep speaking as if nobody else is speaking, you're only speaking because you wanna be heard. You're only speaking because you, you you're 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 speaking to your perception of life and your story. When somebody else is listening to you They then hear a word that spurs another thought for them and they start telling a story of their own over what you're saying, completely negating what you've just said. So the entire structure becomes a game, right? It's like one woman's uh, like talk inspires another woman's talk and they're like scoring points, right? So for the first time,
4: you mean they're they're mansplaining to each other. Because okay. that's exactly Just like I'm doing exact, to you now. That's exactly so what
1: I So can I, I, I vag explain what I think this is? God,
4: please. Uh, yes. yes. Thank you.
1: Bailey, I think I think your explanation is great and beautiful and very academic. And it makes total sense. But to me, I, and again.
0: It's right it, out of a Churchill interview. I will say that.
1: Perfect. <laughs> okay. Well, this is a dumb American lady's point of view. Again, I listened to it. This is how people talk at a dinner party, particularly when they're getting drunk, particularly when it's a celebration. And especially in her later works, and it's something something that is incredibly frustrating to read, and I think you probably have to do a lot of deciphering as a director and an actor, but also this is how people talk. I mean, as a as a baby director, my yes. whole thing is like, take out the air, take out the air. People talk over one another. This is how people converse with one another. And I guess that that's how I took it. But the scoring points thing, yes. I, I, I'm I with you but, on that. But I just think like- But there are other plays.
0: Yes, there are other plays where she's doing that better though, where I would argue that's what she's trying to do. The hyper-realism, right? Like she's going beyond- like, fuck realism, she's trying to get at like how two people who know each other really well like converse in a moment where you don't understand the context and you're just being set into it, right? She does that really well in a play called a number, which we'll talk about later is one of my uh one of my tops That's um a clone and it's of? sort of yeah. yeah, yeah, and she she just does a really good job of that and this one though, in this first scene, and I'm not arguing because I think your point is completely correct she this is her first time really fucking with that kind of hyper realistic discussion, uh, dialogue, mm-hmm. but this first scene, and this is, I, again, I'm, I'm just quoting her and it excited me so much to hear her talk about because I was so confused by it. It was just when she was talking about this idea of, of, um, only hearing what you, what pertains to you. And it becomes a little bit more human and a little bit less like women only hear what pertains to them And that's not really what she means. She means like, like if we're just talking social media, Right if you believe something and you read an article title that's the opposite of what you believe, you're just going to say, that's bullshit, and you're going to move on, right? Mm -hmm. Or you're going to post it and say, this is all crap, but you're not going to actually take the time to read it or to to really, like, consider the other side. And so she has these people who happen to be women, but they Um come (laughs) –
4: but no I, it makes perfect sense you you're both absolutely 100% correct and that's a hard that is a hard it, it is admittedly a very difficult thing to construct within right. with, with uh, on, the, on the on the page itself and she does this again and again and again I, I i just get annoyed because i i think that she uses it pretty effectively and i think that there's some playwrights that just get don't. absurd with Shh. it with, yes. where it just becomes an absolute distraction from and they think they're. and it's
0: like kind of easy to be mad at her for it because it's like you gave them the permission to do this and yeah no I get that I I would say that um, one of my favorite parts of that whole scene though is that the first time that they actually stop and listen to each other is after so they're getting drunk right and they're going crazy and Mm -hmm. everything it becomes like this body celebration Bacchus kind of woo everything's great and yeah exactly to your point CJ like This is what they talk like when you're at a party. You're just talking over each other and you're just talking to this person, but this other conversation is going on over here. And it very much feels that way. And I think um, uh, the first time that they stop and pay attention is when Joan says, for the first time, she says, and then I was stoned to death. And she just like told this whole hilarious story. (laughs) And they're laughing and they're laughing. And then it specifically says in the script, they stop laughing. Huh and they start listening to her and she tells the story of like being stoned to death and you're like oh fuck and it's like for the first time they actually all tune in and listen to it that was a big uh moment for me that I uh I loved this play I loved this play I do
4: I, yeah I and and you know I I'm not being critical of what's going on in that first scene it's it's staggering and you're absolutely right like and it's it's a brilliant construct to have you're, you're processing as an audience member, you're processing, 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 and then, whoof, like that moment happens and you're like, oh, yeah. And which adds to the surrealism and, and, and who that character was and what they went through and, and all that. I would like to real quick bring up um, the character of Angie. Yep. Well, yes, Girl. Scott. <laughs> uh, just that some critics argue that, um, or say that, The play is really about her um, in a lot of ways. And um, she's an interesting character because I viewed her in... I had read the play years ago, um, and I'd seen a production of it years ago. Um, But in in revisiting it this time, there's something that's not right about that character, right? How do you mean... Oh, like almost that she. There's an autism, there's there's a detachment. There's um, that I found in that in that character, and maybe it was the. You could read it,
0: spectromy, yeah, for sure.
4: You know, and excuse me. W- no, you're you're excused. Okay. I um, don't excuse it, but it's I, fine.
2: i was it's coughing. I can't right have now. that. I, can't I don't have corona.
4: You could if you stop smoking the weed. <laughs>
1: I don't. I don't.
4: You don't smoke weed, no. None of nope. us do. No. Um, <laughs> you can lie to yourself, but you can't lie to Jesus. That's right. Um, but regardless, certainly the term autism wasn't being used in 1984. Right. We talked about in 1984. Um, so, my heart went out to her, especially at the end, at the at the that final <laughs> line of the play which so basically the character of Angie is is presented at first as if she is Marlene's niece and Joyce right. Marlene's sister is Angie's mother the revelation of course is is that at the end of the play we find out that Marlene gave gave Angie to Joyce to raise um and and so you you you're just but there's some, they say in the show that there's something that's not right about her, that she doesn't have friends her own age, that she doesn't, um, she has a friend who's what, you know, at least 12, a few years younger. Four you years, know, years, years younger, younger. yeah. yeah. Um, and so um, th- 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 that character just, I don't know what it was. I think it was the culmination of th- that whole final scene, which is, you know, it- it's a great, um Reducing sort of that, that Thatcher era um, politics that this sort of weird transition that Britain was going through uh, that she pushed through Thatcher um, and how it impacted, you know, everyday people and specifically women in this case, but I just felt heartbroken for her that she wasn't, there's no resolution there. There's no easy fix to
1: I guess, her. I, I mean, the spec- yeah. being on the spectrum is, that's an interesting uh, thought. I think the way, and again, I listened to it, and the actress that plays her on LA Theater Works definitely makes her sound a specific way. And I saw her as not even, not even just a female child, but a child that was the, the product of an upbringing where she was not wanted and she was not loved. Um, yeah,
0: kind yeah. of a um, Dottie and Killer Joe.
4: Uh-huh. Yeah, right?
1: and yeah. I, I mean, but I mean, yeah, Scott, that's definitely an interesting um, point on that. But yeah, I just saw her as a, as a as a child that her mother never wanted her. And we don't even know like where the dad is in the, Joyce's husband. I, right. I mean, I can't remember if anything was said about him.
4: That, but that I mean, the le- relation- He had left or something. No, I, that he had yeah, left, yeah, yeah. I think I, at some point
1: get yeah, just the relationship that you see on a line by line basis with her and joyce it's like it just clearly like joyce does not especially at this teenage point in her life joyce does not want her there at all and joyce resents her and she resents marlene for leaving her there with her and that's that's the take i got but that's that's an interesting thought for sure
0: yeah. My final thoughts on Top Girls is that everyone should fucking read it or f- listen to it. or Actually, don't read it. It's so hard to read. Go in, and find a way to watch it. It's so good. It's just so good. It's so, it's
4: so, good. so, good. It's so yeah. smart.
0: Um, I'm going to start just like, why don't we just start going through from now? I'm going to start saying the plays. You tell me if you read it or not from starting after this because okay. we have- tons more to get through she's written yes. so much. oh my god stuff. yeah it's great and if we hit one that you're like oh i have an opinion on it let's talk about it but her next play was 1983 Fen, f-e-n do you know anything about this i did not read it
2: Mm-mm.
4: okay no i didn't touch on it although it yeah. seemed to be pretty well received and and pretty respected. yeah and it's
0: i found it a lot like whenever i was researching her it popped up as like oh she also wrote this play and i was like oh, i <sighs> never heard of that but no okay, cool. it's
4: one that i need to circle back to i just didn't get to for this one uh, however next the next had, one go ahead.
0: Yeah, Soft Cops 84. Oh
4: man.
1: I did read.
4: I went down a rabbit hole for this fucker. Really? I'm talking about it guys. Oh, yeah. I didn't read this one, so go for it. Okay. Uh, well CJ, what were your thoughts?
1: I mean, I just that was the one that I read and I can't remember what order because I read kind of all over the map for her. I didn't mm-hmm. I've been starting at the beginning and going towards the end, but this time I just kind of read all over the place and this was the one where i was like god damn this woman has range that was that's kind of the main i and i will say there was a line that made me laugh out loud it was children can be promoted or demoted so all are under equal pressure to behave well and that just that just made me laugh probably because oh, i'm not yeah. a mother. private
0: school kid and me just up. <laughs>
1: well, i'm a public school kid so yeah
2: <laughs>
4: so th- this is where like as i Dipped my toe into it and like my admiration for her and for her wealth of knowledge. There are times in some of the other shows that we'll discuss here in a second where (laughs) it gets frustrating where just because she knows so much more than you do. Like, she's done her research on things, like, just, just in terms of, like, references to Greek mythology and, and history and that sort mm-hmm. of thing. So, Soft Cops um, is also sort of in response to the Thatcher era, and there was <clears throat> an attempt in the mid-80s in England to depoliticize um, uh, the, the penal system um and so she Daniel. carol churchill had discovered um i don't know if either of you and i i'm no expert i just know the name and knew a little bit about him beforehand but uh michel uh uh foucault was a french philosopher in and i think he died in the early 80s but basically his uh, his theories he he was a philosopher you like legitimate like philosopher capital p um but barely basically he was kind of exploring throughout his career the relationship between um power and knowledge and how they're used um for social control um, mostly through stuff, mostly through like societal institutions, i.e. schools, the penal system, uh, policing, um, any you know, public welfare, that kind of thing. And and so she just, I don't know if the play fully works because you, I think you have to know so much because she goes into, you know, there's, there's a character who's literally a real person, Jeremy Bentham was like a 18th century British philosopher. And he kind of introduced the idea of welfare um, as a way to improve and lift up part of society. But he also came up with um, these idea, this notion that for prisoners, the idea of being watched was more powerful than actually watching it. In other words, if you right. in, in France... Uh, in the 1830s, you have, you know, you have the, the guillotine, you have public public humiliations and deaths and, you know, cutting off of hands for thieves and that kind of stuff, all of which she she, she makes part of the action of the play. Um, but then the idea of fear. So she's working on this sort of um, this sort of Thatcher ultra conservatism that's that's now being you know, brought into England coupled with the anniversary of, of 1984 of Orwell's 84 um, and the idea of Big Brother and the idea of creating towers where you can watch people the, so that, you know, if you know that your eye, if you're being watched, then you're less likely to, to do a criminal act. Right. But it plays itself out as almost this as a surreal farce. Like it just goes a hundred miles. There's no act break. It just keeps going till it stops. And there's kids and the kids are being institutionalized. Uh, And I, I don't mean that they're being put into a place. I mean that they're being, you know, taught to stand. And this is how you stand. And this is how you hold hold your your hands it's very this ned you, stark sit condition. here and watch the execution <laughs> yeah right this is how you sleep you sleep with your hands over the covers you yes yeah. the, the the boys on the left will get into their hammocks at, at this point and the boys on the, on the right will get into their hammocks at this point and uh, occasionally we'll go to the beach and but you will still always be watched and it's it's can i ask it, a question yeah hmm. is it good
1: it was. I, I, I liked it. It was very period-style. Scott, I, I one thing I had to say was, did you read the further note in the book that we read so- Soft Cops from?
4: I can't remember.
1: Uh, it says, and I'm going to read it in British, Soft Cops was originally written in 1978 under a labor government when the question of soft controls seemed more relevant than in 1984, the year of its first production when Thatcher was dismantling the welfare state.
4: Right right oof so
1: yeah. it was written in a time that it didn't apply i i don't know i don't know i don't know if that has anything to do with what you were saying
4: <laughs> no it it does it just in in the shift of of this sort of exploration of the idea of control and punishment over the masses so it's there's some big huge philosophical ideas the criticism of of soft cops that came from um both from American reviews and British reviews at the time was that it basically was taking this um, Foucault's book, Discipline and Punish uh, um, and kind of cliff cliff noting it and putting it into a drama that kind of sweeps over stuff. Um,
1: it felt very Gilbert and Sullivan to me to be quite
4: honest. <laughs> yeah, there's I mean there's I mean the period and you you've got, you know, there's there's you know the the what's his name the Doct is the main mm-hmm. character and mm-hmm. he was a real life person who was a criminal con man known for his disguises who became chief of police because some minister thought that that was the perfect perfect way to deal with it yeah and we'll, we'll put a criminal who knows criminals better than criminals you know um so there's a lot of just huge ideas in there yeah it's it's one of the two plays that I read in preparation for this that I'm like, ooh, I'd like to direct that. That would be fun to direct. Also uh, of interest is that it's an entirely male cast. At least she doesn't. Yes. There's no female characters, which doesn't interesting. Mean, but it's it's an entirely ma- male cast.
1: Whereas actually, girls two years earlier is entirely female yeah
0: that actually brings up like a kind of personal note that i forgot to bring up about cloud nine that i i forgot to say which is it is uh it in a way made me a little sad uh as a writer uh in two ways one like many other things that i've read and seen i was a little sad i didn't think of it and uh number two i felt like it negated something that i wrote recently which cj starred in which was called three guys one group on
1: that's right Um, there
0: and it is uh something that i actually just finished a final draft on for i've got
1: a three guys sidebar later in this episode
0: oh cool but yeah this is uh (laughs) it was one of those where i you know i cast three women as men and um i just uh there's a part of me that wonders if i'm just kind of being a little old hat with that but then when you read the play i would argue that it it fits perfectly and it's it's amazing well Um, and you three were incredible (laughs) in it it was it was so fun i
4: I, I was i was it's funny because as as we were writing the like um you know bailey we've talked about our 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 gilliam fandom and and yes although although he's american Most of his stuff is very British, but... Um, very British. I wrote a piece that CJ was in years ago called uh, <clears throat> Cool Side of the Pillow, which was a...
0: Ah, uh, yes, you've told me. This
1: listen, is everybody and, wants to cast me, you guys. Write me roles.
4: Okay, yeah. Okay, sh- <laughs> shut up. <laughs> but no, I didn't... I. 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 It's funny that I didn't fully acknowledge the Churchill influence on it, because in the play, yeah. I had... Uh, I had a man playing the wife. I had you know the husband, and in it, the wife realizes that she that she's trans, that she wants to be a man, right. and so it's this you know very British, very absurd. That she is a man, yes, or that she is a man, yeah, um, and um, yeah, her influences stretch, and, and you can see, although she certainly wasn't the only one dealing with the wave of the the Thatcher Reagan conservatism right. that we're Boo. still reeling from in a lot of ways. I feel personally, <sighs> not to get too political. Um, Don't get political you, today. You, I mean, it's but you see that going on, you yeah. see, you see like in, in Gilliam's Brazil, like that he's using aspects yes. of Brecht, that he's using aspects of our The yes. idea that, that women have to have their faces stretched and pulled back and, uh, and, Brazil. and all the, yeah, and, and all that. So anyway. Everyone so, go watch Brazil. Girl. Brazil. All right. So back to the list. Bra-zaro. Brazil. Next, uh, Yeah. Back to the list. So
0: after that we have, and I know some people have some opinions on this, a mouthful of birds. Um, I have one line mouthful, for
2: mouthful, this. Uh, yes. Go
1: ahead. 20-year-old CJ at liberal arts school would have lost her fucking sh shit over this play but 35 year old (laughs) cj yes i the i don't know when and if we're ever gonna get to it but i have a i get super wet for like 1960s new york style like same open theater type same. shit yeah i i got a second degree in religious studies and my my thesis for that was we performed jean-claude van Nittalli's the serpent so like i'm a big fan of <laughs> diane
0: 69 no. we have a
1: friend there in the audience but like yeah 20 year old cj would have lost her Fucking shit for this show. And but 35 35-year-old. year old CJ was kind of bored reading it. I <laughs> what'd you think, the, Scott?
4: Um, I I did not care for it. it <laughs> yeah. I think I think the slack comment that I made to both of you was fuck a mouthful of birds. <laughs> and, Which and was perfect. It it um and it could have been just the moment and the the time that I was reading, but I was like, if I would have brought like you know, my uncle to this play, like he would have pointed and gone, this is this is pretentious theater bullshit. Yeah. yeah. This is yeah. what keeps people away from theater. This is what people are afraid of when you talk about theater. They fear that you're, they're going to have to be subjected to this. And not that there are elements of it that I think are brilliant. There's moments, the moment um, she talks about it where they're eating the fruit and talking about the sensuality of eating the fruit and then the dichotomy of being the fruit and being torn and ripped apart like yeah. there's there's striking images in it and I get it and also it should be said that it's it's as much a movement and dance piece as it is a script right and so right. it was one of the first ones of her thing where I read it and I'm like I don't get this and but as I read reviews and stuff which were mixed um it, it, it's it's obviously about a, a live experience and a live process uh, Right. a process yeah. and and so i, I just it just i just didn't want to read about Dionysus dancing around and it yeah. just was my like, only thing to Scott.
0: say about it is that it's uh it's uh a play that Wallace Shawn really likes yeah. Wallace Shawn of uh of,
1: Inconceivable.
0: Uh, exactly. Of uh, Princess Bride. And, and, and the thing that struck me about this, and the only reason I brought this up, is because Wallace Shawn has been brought up in like 10 different ways in the last five days for me. And it's freaking <laughs> me out. Uh, specifically, I put on Princess Bride the other day for fun. No big deal. Uh, it's no, no, no thing. But then I'm also uh, watching the films of Jonathan Demi right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, he did, in fact, make an independent film of the Ibsen play. Uh, which I guess we'll talk about in our sixth episode. But the Ibsen play, The Master Builder, uh, which is called A Master Builder, uh, and it stars Wallace Shawn, and yeah. it is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Oh, movie no! Movie. Like, it's oh, no! absolute it's trash. trash. Uh, just yeah. the trashiest trash, and just, like, so... <laughs> it's, it's, I, uh, it's pretentious. Um, but uh, all that to say, um, his quote about it was... Um, he argues that it is among the richest and most inventive works of Churchill, and it is responsible for theater remaining exciting in modern times.
4: Well. Yeah. I, I, yes, from I, 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 and I get it. Again, I think I, I have to see it to experience it. Um, but you're talking about Wallace Shawn, You're talking about a, a pretty... Areodic- a man who's yeah. been
1: able to act for a living and act well not just well, doing and, like garbage well, films, and a
4: playwright I mean, himself yeah yeah and 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 a writer and a performer and, and and yeah yeah i get why theater nerds would jerk off to this i i, I do it like i i get it but yeah it um like what did i write hold on i i wrote some notes here oh <laughs> um, well, i mean and, I, there oh, are times uh, i i wrote that I just envisioned a room full of MFA candidates and associate professors trying to get their tenure, just stroking off about this play and pretending <laughs> like they knew what it was about. And I, you know, there's a lot of dead babies and stuff and, you know, stuff coming out of people's mouths and, I, you know, there, there was interesting things. It just, at least on the page, it just didn't, didn't strike me
1: didn't I mean, do it it's, for it's you it's the
4: thing oh.
0: that i it's actually what i think kane does well is what is lacking in this play yes it's sort of like when oh, kane i see what something yes. on, you know what i mean like when kane kane puts something on paper that says like and then uh, a million rodents come in and, t- and carry him out you're like mm-hmm. great i love that and you just like move on like as a director you're like that's exciting that's a challenge yeah but when i read this at, well I, and i i gotta be honest i didn't fully read it i skimmed it i was there was just too many and i wasn't super into this one and i knew it was movement so i was like i'm not gonna understand it anyway without seeing it so i kind of right. moved on but i just kept being like this is uh, you know this is everything that i feel like sarah kane does well done wrong and it's after sarah kane's already writing so it's very like yeah it feels forced i don't like it um and I <laughs> you know, but also i want to say this about movement theater because she gets into a lot of movement theater later and just to say this now before you know we get into that i recently saw a performance at Slosson and Rec, which is uh shia labeouf's uh theater company in south central where he basically finds a bunch of younger people who are interested in the arts and theater and brings them together and they devise movement pieces together and I got to I was fortunate enough to go see one I was invited and I went and it was um absolutely insane (laughs) uh and like breathtaking and took me by storm in ways I was not ready for purely a Mm -hmm. movement piece devised by these um young adults and
1: with Shia LaBeouf involved
0: Correct, and it and I mean he wasn't in it or anything. You know he was just part of the devising, and I think mm-hmm. he just brings them together sort of. I don't even think he directed it, uh, but it was. Um, you it was you're talking about
4: holes? Holes. It was
0: holes. It was holes <laughs> two. It was the sequel holes? to holes.
4: Um, <laughs> no,
0: no, it was a really beautiful thing i'm, I'm trying no know, no like, i did i did I dig it, I, it, I, it love, I love
4: i love that notion but
0: the reason i was there was sort of to see if it could be taken to another um to the playhouse actually and there's just that moment where you're like this can't be received by every audience right uh-huh. you know there's just not not every audience is ready for this which is right. sad because you know we have churchill and we have Kane, and the, you know we've been doing theater like this but it's just that it's just true that there are just some people who, who would take that and go, what the fuck was that? You yeah. know, you so, know, <laughs>
4: interesting. I take, yeah, it's my the, parents
1: are those people.
4: It's the, yeah. uh, yeah, it's the, that the, the family guy moment where, uh, the mom is playing the kid's radio head and going, Oh no. Oh, oh no. no. I don't, oh, I don't, I don't like this. Exactly. I don't like this.
0: Exactly." And that's what it is. Anyway. All right. So we'll move on from that. We'll, we'll see what, what's up next. So I'm going to skip the next one because it actually comes up later as a, a two act, um, but it's called a heart's desire in 87, but she threw it in as a second act to something later, which is phenomenal. I'll talk about that in a second. Uh, serious Money. Did you guys read this? I know this one is in 87. This one is uh, mostly in couplets. In very, right?
1: yeah. Yeah,
4: yeah, yeah. I, I, um, I I cranked through it like, um, but didn't delve into it, but I dig it. Again, she's sort of talking about, uh, you yeah, know, it's, it's a very British sort of focused on the British stock market, British upper class business world. And yeah, with the rhyme couplets, which like sometimes she's, well, we're going to get to one in a second. Sometimes like, she's good which, at it,
1: and sometimes I'm like, meh.
4: Yeah. yeah. I know. think this uh, also won uh,
0: the Olivia Award for a new play. Is that right? Yes.
1: Yeah. Uh, okay. I, I,
4: I don't have it in front of me, but no, I it could was be wrong. It, it, seemed, it. it seemed to be pretty well received. <laughs> yeah. Um, what
1: What is a glass mentioned. of
4: poo? Oh
1: they 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 mentioned glass of poo like four or five times in this script. And I looked It's probably
0: it up. literally a glass of poo. Well mm. they're
1: talking about going okay, I just I thought this was some kind of like British slang that I didn't know what it meant, and I looked up glass of poo and the closest thing I got was like that coffee that's pulled out of elephant shit.
2: <laughs> huh.
1: They just mentioned she also really likes rhyming with the word fart. <laughs> she does it like it. at least a half dozen times in this script also, i like it too well in,
4: <laughs> well in part Ah, uh,
1: i got a fart um let's,
4: let's do a new let's have a new start shall we?
1: <laughs> alfred molina gary oldman and leslie manful were in the original production wow
4: oh that's, shit that's, that's, that's sexy
1: that's sexy that's sexy as shit um i have two more notes for this um, alfred molina I'm,
0: friend of the pod by the way no big deal
1: Oh, well. What? Well, hi, yeah.
3: Alfred. No, no hi. Alfred. He, uh, he
0: recently did uh, The Father at Pasadena Playhouse. Oh, that's but was, right. Yeah. Uh, oh, other things, well. But, uh, he's, a, he's a big um, a friend of the Playhouse in
2: general.
1: I, yeah. I want to start using the insult bozo more. Yes. <laughs> um, and finally, uh, Trump's going to be a reelected. That's kind of what I got out of this play. Oh, don't.
2: That's what it's to trying to say. You're right. <laughs> not anyway, not. in
0: 1989, she wrote Ice Cream, which I didn't read. Nope. Um, but this one, I think, is about sort of the, uh, the first act is like the UK's feelings of the U.S. And the second act is like the U.S.'s feelings of the U.K. And it's all set in like the 80s. Yeah. But yeah. we're
1: all the same, which is sad. Yeah,
0: I think that ends up being sort of what it says. Is it's like, we're, just, we're all fucking humans and we hate each other and it's so stupid. Um, which is the basic idea of most of her shit. Uh, in 89, she also wrote Hot Fudge. Anyone read that?
2: Mm-mm. Mm-mm.
0: Uh, Mad Forest in 90, uh, which, uh, by the way, Bard College is doing a Zoom production of right now. Ooh. And I watched some clips of it. They're, they're, I think they have two more. Ah, uh, uh, crap. Actually, this will get posted. Oh. Yeah, this will get posted after the second one. So they'll have one more... Uh, on the third, they have one more performance of this. I recommend it. It's really interesting. And they had uh, because it's it's their BFA program putting it on. It's like kind of like shitty in a good way. And <laughs> no, like it is. And I would also argue that all the tech problems that it had. I didn't watch all of it, but for what I watched, all the tech problems that I had like add to it times a thousand. It's really good. Like I was like I was super in for it. So I highly recommend it. Uh, if you have the means, check it out. It's free. It's on uh, the. Bard College website and um, nice. it's really really cool but I don't know the play I just know what I saw of it and it's sort of like a uh, from what I saw it's like a, a woman in a class teaching propaganda to her class Word. yeah Word. it's cool uh, Any anything else on that Do you guys know that one no Nair. Uh, next we have Lives of the Great Poisoners in 91
4: no I just didn't get to it Nope. Yeah,
0: I didn't either. This one was showed up on a lot of lists of uh, popular plays by her. Uh, the next one is something I did read and I've seen <laughs> before. I didn't even realize this was a Churchill play until I found it in one of these books, and I was like, oh, fuck. I didn't realize this was her. The Skriker.
2: The Skriker.
0: Oh, yes.
1: I wouldn't have read this if it wasn't for you recommending it, Bailey. I love it.
0: Yeah. I love this play. Yeah.
1: My, my review of this, if anyone wants any reason to read this, it is... It is a play form of a Hieronymus Bosch painting.
0: Whoa. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it.
1: And Halloween Puck is the other thing that I thought. For yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure.
0: It's got like a it's got like a burtony kind of um uh I don't know or, or like um what's that what's that horror from the Boba Duke? It's got like a Boba Duke yeah, kind yeah, of feel. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I fucking yeah. love this fucking play. It's
4: it's the one that I read and was like oh oh i want to direct that primarily because like i what was funny is i read it and i'm like how in the fuck do you even begin to do this the (laughs) the monologue but then just but just all of the like the frogs coming out of the mouth and there's gold coins coming out of the mouth and yes all the all the and things are just moving in and out and you know feasts come on and leave in 30 seconds like and so i was reading one of the articles i found was i guess when she first started because she took her a while to write it she did like some revisions and she kept like bringing it back and but there was one one of the directors that went and like spent some time with it then came back and was like this is unstageable like i don't know how i'd do it and finally they did and um basically we should say it's the story of a a striker is like a fairy, like an evil, right? Like
0: a death portent. Yeah. yeah. And,
4: um, and basically during the play, the striker becomes many different characters and things. It becomes other humans and people and, and, and it's, but the character speaks in this insane language. So I went down, this is another rabbit hole. I went down. So, Mm -hmm. Apparently, like a lot of this was influenced by some linguist and I, I I don't even have the name. I, I just couldn't like it was, it was too much. But basically, and when I my brain started thinking about this question, I was like, Oh, so it's a linguist who's started studying based on the idea of what makes a pun. Why do puns exist linguistically? And so then I'm reading the play, and like, you're you're looking at these insane words, and and you know, and I'm like, the audience doesn't know this, like the audience doesn't know that she's saying two as in T W O, followed by two O O, followed by the word two, like they don't know it. They're think they're right. reacting to two two two, you know, and and right. these this the whole play opens with this insane monologue. And it's basically a fusion. It's, it's really the closest I think she comes for me anyway. In what I read of, of hitting that fear of cruelty, absolute visceral thing. Like one of the critics, what was the quote? One of the critics wrote, I think in response to a pretty like 2016, um, Uh, production is like well if you walk out of it and get more than half of this you've done better than me like (laughs) and like and and, which made me feel I was like oh right on because that also freed up a lot in my head in terms of dealing with her and in terms of reading her and it's like oh word like I'm not I don't have to get it all maybe I'm not gets to to the point
0: this gets to the point of what I love about Churchill which is that it is about what happens in the rehearsal room it mm-hmm. is about what you as a collaborator decide because she's not in that room with you right so and well she is at the beginning she is with the royal court right but when you uh, are putting up this play at wherever and you uh, you're in a room with other artists and other collaborators you have to decide these things and this is the time of, this is the season of life where she starts really fucking with that there's a few plays we'll get into in a second, uh, where she just doesn't even list characters. She doesn't. Even, she's just like, no, it's just words. Like, go fucking do it. Like, pick it out, make it, create yeah. art. It's like it's like this invitation to just like create something. And this is the start of that for me in a big way.
4: It's um, like it's like I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you you this production company, this group of actors and directors and choreographers and movement people here. I'm gonna give you this map, but I'm not gonna give you a legend or a key, or indeed even let you know like where what direction is north like right. you're, you're gonna have exactly. to figure this fucking map out based on on what i gave you which is exactly exhilarating and it's a challenge and yeah
1: like... i see it as freedom yeah, yeah it's right? freedom, freedom as a collaborator
0: yeah. yeah it allows you to be the artist and, and it's it, it it's the thing i love most about theater and it's why when i put up things even musicals i <clears throat> excuse me i try to um, Reconceptualize because it's like if we're just putting up the same thing over and over again, then what's the point? So she's literally giving something that could never be put up the same way. Yeah, it's like unless unless you actively found a a, a copy of footage of it and and did a moment for moment. Like there's just no way to do it the same way again. Right. There's no OG choreography. No, right? You
4: just no. have to do it. I think I, I, that there's I, like I think that, that there's music in it. In in the intro, yeah, yeah. she says, "You know, there's you can no do what you want with it, but I think you should use this music that we already created through it." Can also, I tell you my favorite quote ahead. though? My yes. favorite my favorite quote of all the amazing, like jaw dropping fucking wordplay of in this. I loved the line, "Young men and Freud eggs." young J- <laughs> jung men young yes. young yes. men young. And, and freud eggs i love uh, that and i just you know um but then like on a serious note like and where where she she gets back into um her more of her feminist themes you know um is is in talking about um you the, the plays dealing with like postnatal psychosis and um, and possession. It's basically centered around um, the two the two young women, one of whom has killed her baby. They're teenagers, right? That they're supposed to be teenagers. Yeah, they're.
1: Babies having babies.
4: Babies having babies. Lily, Lily and, and
1: Josie, right?
4: Josie, yeah. And woof, like, and man, there, <laughs> I, I just the final image is described the, the, the there's the passerby that's dancing through the entire show and right. then the last stage direction is the passerby <laughs> stops and you realize that motherfucker's been dancing through this whole fucking play doesn't <laughs> like, like theoretically doesn't leave like yeah uh, I want just, that part oh man
0: it's a good part it's a good show there's yeah, also show
4: I, yeah I, I mean I would really love to do I think it just would be fucking manic and crazy to do and it's a pure it just struck me just on the page as being a purely visceral experience and um and then there's just other stuff like she she does a really clever tip of the hat to beckett and joyce like there's a lot of uh well there's one of the later speeches that the scriker has that's very lucky lucky it's very lucky lucky. the
0: the first speech even Mm-hmm. i remember being like this is just so lucky's monologue because mm-hmm. and i it actually i as i was gonna bring this up earlier is i just feel like when i first read godot and i as a writer was like oh i'm gonna start writing stuff like that and i started writing like gibberish right. and like hiding <laughs> meaning in it or whatever it may be right and um and so that's that monologue sticks out in my head a lot and when that first monologue and then the one later i know exactly which one you're talking about where you're just like this is a lucky monologue. This mm-hmm. is somebody standing on a stoop spouting, and there's no real context, but if you're really listening, well, plays.
4: exactly, and then everything else that's going on on stage like the you know in in Godot, not to digress too much, but like the stage directions are so specific in terms of what's going on, right and what she does is kind of go, this is what's happening." you figure it out. Like Becca gives you very, very clear, like beat, beat, beat. This happens, this happens, this happens. And she's like, which is a weird juxtaposition because she gives such fucking clear stage directions all the way through. And then in that moment goes, uh, that's you try and figure it out. And, but like, there's just so many, like just to break it down, just the thought of how you would break it down. Beat by beat, moment by moment, all the weird shit that's happening, you know. We're going to do it, Scott. We're going to do, do it. it. Let's co-direct it. DJ, you it. can choreograph.
1: I know. Okay. I want to be the striker. Or at least choreograph oh,
4: and strike yeah. it up. But, It'll be but, I
1: can strike and choreograph. Strike no, and we'll, we'll,
4: we'll let you audition. How's that?
1: Strike core. Hey, come on. I'm the most talented <laughs> person you know in the state of California. You're,
4: you're certainly the most talented on this yeah. podcast. That's um, for sure. That's for sure.
0: Uh,
1: fuck the both of you. What's so
0: next? Next, up, next? Yeah, we have Blue Heart, uh, which is to go back to earlier. Uh, she had written actually the first act. Of this, the Heart's Desire. Yes. For. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and then she added a second act to it, which I love these two plays together. And this is one of my favorite reads. Uh, so, a little Bailey spotlight here. Uh, but basically, I want to tell you the plots of these because they're really exciting and I'll make it really short and simple. But basically, the first one, Heart's Desire, is this couple and they're waiting on the return of their daughter. And she's coming home from, I think it was Australia. It was Australia. Uh, but she, uh, the, the, it plays out in little segments over and over again. So it's like the same few moments played out over and over again with variations every time, which sounds really simple, but then the play starts getting, like, hijacked in a way. Like, uh, I don't even know how to explain it without giving away all the amazing. It's like Groundhog's it. Day. Kind of. It's it's sort of, but it's so <laughs> different every time that, like, even at one point you become so aware of it that it's like like an emu comes on stage and, like, things like this. It's It is the weirdest... But I Uh, love it. It's very fun. I love
1: emus.
0: Yeah, it's it's really cool. But the reason I love it most is because it's paired with the second act, which has nothing to do with the first act. uh, But it's called Blue Kettle, and both of these to me are sort of like the ultimate like acting exercise in a way. Where uh, Blue Kettle is this guy, and he's tricking older women into believing that he's their adoptive uh, 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 child. Excuse me, their child who they gave away for adoption when they were young mothers. So. Yeah, so it like feels really awful, and it, he kind of, um, you kind of realize that he's doing it because he never really had a mother, and he's trying to find that motherly love, but also he just wants them to give gifts of money and to let them and let him into their lives and whatnot. But as it's and it's all these different women, but as the play goes, words start being replaced with either the word blue, or the word kettle. So as they go, certain words are always blue. Like, let's say the word is the, then when I say the, I would only say blue. So you as the audience start being like, wait, what? Like kind of at first, but then as it keeps going, more and more words start becoming either blue or kettle to the point where they're only saying blue kettle, blue kettle, blue kettle, over and over and over again. But the context and the body language and the intention and emotion behind it is what is telling the story. Sexy. Fucking radical. And I want to- Go ahead. I just want to do it in an acting class. I don't even want to put it up as a show. I just want to, like, Like have everyone learn it and just put it up in different contexts and different, you know, a splash kind of scene where – Okay, I like this play a lot. Nerd. Uh, that's all I have to say. I'm a total nerd. Uh, after that, she did. Uh, she teamed up um, with, I forget his name, and I can't pronounce it anyway. It doesn't matter. But in 1997, she does Hotel, which was like a musical opera of sorts. Mm, yeah. um, it's really interesting. It's all set in a hotel. I, I did listen
4: to some of the stuff. and it, yeah. yeah. it's Yeah. Not,
1: it's weird. So I'm guessing yeah. the person she paired up with did all the musical stuff. Correct. She's and she written, wrote the book. She just she's just yeah, book. she does lyrics for a lot of, like it's I can't even remember which plays specifically. Oh, serious money at the end of each act. There's a big musical number.
0: Yeah, right. she uses music a lot. Um in and, and it's which is Brechtian in itself, but it's also uh very her. She loves loves to do that. But uh, she has a few team ups. Moving on from here, she has a lot of these uh, movement team-ups and music team-ups, and this is kind of a big start in that. I read some of it. It's too confusing to really um, sink your teeth into without also listening to it or like also watching it. So I I let go of it a little bit, but it is an interesting one. Um, In 99, she wrote, This is a Chair. Mm. Did either of you read this? I did. I I
1: just blammed through it today, and I just saw it. I mean... uh... Spoiler read-
0: alert, this made my top three.
1: Oh, it did. Okay. Well yeah. I read through it quickly and I mean, Bailey, tell me if I'm wrong because it seems like you were really into it. It just struck me as like in nineteen ninety nine this is this is shit that is going on right now that's in the news that people are worried about and I am going little, to yes. put it in just modern everyday person to person scenes.
0: Yeah, kind of. It's it's it, To me, this is sort of her tryout before Love and Information, which uh, comes up later. I don't know if you guys read that. But this is sort yeah. of her, like, mosaic piece where it's just little stories, little, little scene lits that don't really add up in- to anything until the end, until you kind of put them all together in your head. Um, it's really interesting. I want everybody to go check it out. It's obviously – it's a um, – uh, reference to the Rene Magritte uh, surrealist painting, Ceci n'est pas une pipe, which means this is not a pipe, which is just a picture of a pipe, and under it it says Ceci n'est pas une pipe, which I'm gonna means tell you this one, is not
4: I'm a gonna, pipe. I'm going to interrupt to tell you one thing. Don't you ever yeah. speak French at me again. Do you hear me? Whoa. I'm sorry. It was, <laughs> no, was French-Canadian. Uh, oh, my yeah. God. It's the
1: word. <laughs> I didn't sound very Québécois to me.
4: Yeah. Uh,
0: though This is a Chair is, was phenomenal. It's, it's one that I would want to – I would have put up in college if I knew it existed for sure. I was just that kind of kid that was always trying to put up shit uh, like this. Um, I like it a lot. I think it's um, very – I'm a 90s baby. It's very my kind of – uh, uh, era, my um, love, my heart era, if you will. Um, so anyway, yeah. So this I is a chair. Tra- I think everybody should read everybody should it. Go again. Read it. I think your, <laughs> everyone should check it. Out. It's your it's heart fun.
4: song. It's my heart song. It's, it's your heart song. song. Uh,
0: um, whatever. But after that is one of my favorite plays of all time. Something I think you both read. And in fact, we forgot to mention the scene that we did at the beginning of the show. This is yes. Carol Churchill's two thousand play. Far away. Yes. Which I invoked uh, in the Arthur Miller podcast. Yeah. I don't remember what Interesting
1: why, but... to think that this came out in 2000, right before 9 11. Although I know, yeah. I mean, 9 11 was a worldwide wow. thing, oh. but it wasn't a specifically British thing. You know what I mean? I 100%
0: but did not even think of that, CJ. I... That's fucking brilliant.
1: Well, sometimes. So, <laughs> so
2: I mean, <laughs> to speak to that the, sometimes, ho- the whole play is basically. Uh, yeah, Jesus, I, the hardest one been... here, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus.
0: The whole thing is basically about paranoia right? and fear and just like what is happening uh, that we don't know about and what is not being told to us and what is happening outside of these doors and the lack of control that we have, but also the trying to maintain control, especially in the household and... Um, you know, trying to convince each other and yourself that everything's all right, even though it's not. Um, this is one of my favorite plays of all time. I directed it in college. Uh, it's it's fucking amazing.
1: It was an excellent read. Like I enjoyed reading this play.
4: Yeah, yeah, uh, it, yeah, and yeah, and I got all the themes. You know, she. <clears throat> it seems that it's it's very much the idea of uh, the fear that's imposed by a government on its citizens for sure for sure and i think um my only note on that aside from it's a theme that she returns to and i understand exactly why what she doesn't do and it kind of baffles me a little bit that gilliam does do um when we start talking about sort of this reflection on is that there's there's no discussion about so where we're at now, the post nine eleven world is—it's not so much solely the government. It's—it's it's more about corporations. It's about mega corporations who have your information, and it's about the, the sort of um, cat and mouse game between the government and corporations in terms of who gets access to that information, and so I think that the great evil right now is—is is that. The government uses corporations because corporations get you to sign off on it. All those agreements, we all signed off on it. We all said it's okay. We've all we all have an iPhone or whatever. We all,
1: all signed said, the iPhone the, we, the we iCloud I- agreement. Uh, every
4: time we've uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, we've all sold our fucking souls to it. Um, and then it's it's this. It, 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 in other words, is as as I read it this time, I was I was I was looking for more of the power structure more of the um devil's deal with the devil that that both of these sides make that we're that we as people get crushed in between um that being said i i i, it, I, I read it twice to be quite honest with you because the first time i was like ah i i'm missing something i'm missing something um but no i, I yeah i uh, I, I get this is another exactly one of those plays right. to me that's
0: just very collaborative in the room, right? You yeah, yeah, you have to. Yeah. When I directed it specifically, we sort of had this. Well, let me tell the. Okay, so this is. I know we're we're doing a little corner on this play, but we did the scene from it, so we might as well dig into it a little bit. Um, the. Uh structure of the play is the first act is a woman and she's sitting uh, knitting or whatever it says in a rocking chair. And a young girl comes downstairs and she says, hey, I heard noises. I can't sleep. And the scene unfolds and basically the little girl ends up saying, um, I'm pretty sure I'm seeing my uncle. Because uh, I'm, I, you know, it unfolds that she's staying at her uncle and aunt's house, and this is her aunt she's speaking to, and she says, "I've seen my uncle do bad things. I don't know what it is. It, you know, it's scaring me." And that unfolds. Then this, and you don't, nothing really gets told to you, but you feel like the aunt is really trying to keep a secret from this little girl, and by the end, ends up kind of telling her, "Okay, we are doing, we are doing bad things, but." Uh, it's all for the better, right? It's all for the good thing, but they don't tell you what that is. They don't tell you what this world is. There's no, uh, you just know that she's, people are screaming in a, in a truck and being beaten by this man. Go ahead.
1: Right. I was just going to say for me, it was kind of like, it's kind of like this massive world war and it's like, who is the good side? Is right, and that's side? what the third
0: act is like—100% about. So like, well, no, yeah, but so it like it starts that way. The second act is a hat factory, and you don't know really what they're making these hats for, but it's it's, uh, and you don't really know that this is the same person, except unless you looked in the playbill, it's played <laughs> by a different actress usually, right. Right. and it's um, and but it's the same little girl grown up. Her name's Joan, and she's uh, making hats in a factory with this guy named Todd, and mm-hmm. Todd was is in the final scene that you heard before, And uh, but they're making hats, and at first, they're kind of just these small hats, and then the lights go down, and they come back up, and the hats are bigger, and they talk some more, and then the lights go down, and, and they come back up, and the hats are bigger and, like, ridiculous, and I think there's three of those where it goes down, and then when it comes mm-hmm. back up, the hats are, like, flagrantly ridiculous right there's like flamingos coming off of them and just insane things and it's funny it's a very funny scene but it also is meant to be very drawn out and like long and kind of interesting in my production we had this idea that there was people watching them right like there was cameras everywhere so whenever they would talk they would kind of like look up and sort of like check that they were very
1: 1984 being heard Mm -hmm. yeah it was
0: it was kind of of that because we we created our own world around it right Mm -hmm. uh and then in the third act like you're saying, CJ, it, it becomes a discussion of, and as you heard at the beginning of the episode, it becomes a discussion of the war that's going on outside, right? The the fear that uh, we have of everything fighting everything. The wasps are in fights with the dolphins, are in fights with the humans, are in fights with the um, Russian cab drivers, are in fights with the aerialists, are in you know, like it gets that Everybody
1: hates ridiculous. everybody.
0: Yeah. And I think um, for you to bring up the fact that this came out in 2000, uh, right before uh 911 is a is a huge point cuz i oh god i didn't even think about that it feels so post 911 like america well that's what
1: i'm here for to think I
4: well appreciate 9/11 it was and also an in, inside
0: job
1: oh right. we won't get into those...
0: it but you're not wrong uh, we'll talk about it a little bit. Uh, but 2020 <laughs> a 2020 person reading this play can take so fucking much from it like there's it's, we're just we're it's, living it's in very right much
4: now. of its time and you know and um the paranoia that's created i think she says it at the end like the end and she talks about like um afraid of the duality of the of of the propaganda yeah. and and the reality of of the, of the of the actions and the life's the the, the life they're, they're they have to lead and um yeah no it's 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 an amazing meditation on fear and and paranoia and yeah may i how share it's driven. A-
1: May I share a line that encapsulated the show for me? Please. But I didn't Please. know whose side the river was on. It might help me swim or it might drown me.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. Is that <laughs> a final monologue?
1: I can't remember. I just saw it and I typed it down I whenever it I was be. reading it. But I just, it stuck with me. Because the,
0: the best part of this play is the end when Harper comes in and she's been, you know, as you heard in the scene before, they don't really know if she's switched sides. Is she on their side? You mean side Joan? Of- I'm sorry, yeah, uh, Joan. Uh, Harper is the aunt, right? It's the yeah. aunt, yeah. And, um, and Joan is, um, it, it, you know, you don't really know what happened to her, in the keeps and they keep saying, God, I wish she would wake up. We don't really know where she's come from. Was she looking for safety? Is she a spy? Is she, You know, whatever it may be. And then she comes out, and she basically gives this retelling of the traumas that she went through getting there, and it's just... Uh, if you have the right actress, it can be uh, heartbreaking and profound. Uh, this was something that I I brought up, I think, in the Miller, maybe in the Let's episode. I don't remember, but about how when I directed it, I made sure that my cast took this very seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to take it very seriously so that the end is poignant. But when you start listing all the things, they start talking about the cats are the killing the babies and the Russian cab driver, yep. r- drivers are yeah. fighting. You know, like it when it starts listing those things, it gets. Silly, like so and funny, and you need and the, the funny. Scene, so oh, yeah, funny. yeah, yeah. I did leave. It. Uh, I did leave out something that in between the um, hat scenes and the final scene, there's a parade, uh, and it's meant to be just like a discomfort parade. But all these, all these um, people are being chained up and led to their deaths and they are all wearing the hats that were being made in the scene before and you realize that these hats that were being made were, were death procession hats and it's like it's so fucked up it's so I got like 20 kids to come into every performance of it when I did it I got like 20 kids to come in and just do that parade every night and it was so (laughs) fucking radical Uh, and they were like and we had this great costumer and it was just like they looked insane and I made everybody really Burton-esque like early Burton kind of gothy whatever and just, I, I was, I'm very proud of that production in case you can't tell, but, um, it's, it's the, the audience went nuts and they were laughing their asses off through all of the third act. And my cast afterwards was like perturbed. Yeah. They were like, why were they laughing? How could they, you know, but, but also when you went out and talked to the audience, they were like, God, that ending. Oh my God. You know, because you give them that ride, you give them that roller coaster and that denouement just kicks your but even though it's completely surreal.
1: Yes, completely Bailey, you're absurd, a great director.
0: Aren't I so good at everything <laughs> I do? Um, after that, though, unless you have anything else to say about Far Away, uh, she um, does a translation yeah. of Seneca's uh, Thaestes. And then after that, in 2002, she did A Number, which if you guys didn't read, you should check out. It's short. It's really good. But It's the one about cloning,
4: right? It is, and it's
0: about a man talking to his son, uh, and it begins. It actually begins with the line "a number," and it and, and it plays with the pun of them saying like, "how many clones are there?" A number, which means there's tons of them. But also, like you yourself as a clone are just a number, right? So it's playing with that kind of idea. Ooh, but so the it's first like scene, Star Wars. It's it's very sci-fi, but it's not too distant future. It feels very now, and it's just a guy talking to his son, mm-hmm. and it's sort of revealing that the son now knows that uh, that there are clones made of him. Uh, but then at some point, the son kind of questions, like, well, am, am I the original? And the dad's like, no. Ooh. But the original died. This is all in the first scene. He says, the original died when he was four years old, and I wanted to replicate him and, uh, and have my son back. So, and yeah. you're just like, wow, that's fucked up. And then the very next scene is the same two actors. It's a two-hander. It's only two people. The very next scene is him talking to uh, a differently dressed uh, version of his son. And it starts unfolding. You realize that this is the original son and he's lying to the clone.
2: Oh. Uh, and
0: that the original son is actually, he feels actually was just uh, that he failed as a parent and was trying to redo it. And that's why he did God the clone. But then the government has taken the clone and made thousands of, th- and <gasps> upon thousands of them. So they don't know how many there are and i'm not going to give away any more about the plot Thousands because the ending is incredible but yeah it's very clone wars and it is truly like uh, there's a hbo film of it as well which uh stars tom wilkinson as the father and Reese funds as the son highly recommended it. it is uh it'll kick your butt and uh carol wrote it for the um for the screen, so it is different. It's a, it's more segmented in scenes and you get to see some more of the clones kind of, but it's actually the same script, which is interesting. Um, but he goes through multiple iterations of the clone, and you don't really know which ones are the OG or not. It's very good. Um,
2: Damn.
0: I highly recommend it. I know I just did a 20-minute corner on that, but A, a, a Number is a, is a very, very good play. Right. After that is... Did you guys read that? You didn't read that.
1: No, I didn't. I just read a summary on it. Yeah. Uh,
0: after that, she did a translation of the Strindberg play, a dream play, um, which I did not read, but I've read a dream play.
1: I read a dream play way Back yeah, in, in college school. I read it Yeah, yeah, we'll, yeah. Uh,
4: we'll We'll dive into that when we get into Strindberg Yeah My tiny little Yeah, Go ahead Siege
1: My tiny little sidebar for this was uh, Between Letts and Miller and Churchill I feel like all of these Prolific playwrights in their own right They have had A playwright that they have loved That they've done a uh, translation, or mm-hmm. they've done an adaptation. For sure, all three of them have. Yeah. Uh, yeah, of someone that they admired, and that's just what I took away from this was all. Yeah,
4: no, it's...
0: Yeah, uh, it's like I, I think I said this in the last episode, but it's like every great playwright hits a point where they're like, I guess I'll go back and take other people's work and, and yeah. do that. is <laughs> my so, like, favorite playwright? Yeah. Um, so anyway, after that, uh, in 2006, uh, she writes Drunk Enough to Say I Love You, which is about uh, the Berriman. British submission. That's right. uh, it's 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 the story of CJ. CJ, CJ. It's uh, it's a '90s C. biopic, actually. Um,
4: CJ, no, oh, but... I, I love you, CJ. Uh... I
1: think I love you.
0: I'm drunk
4: enough to
2: say it.
0: I love you. Um, It's a very short play. Yeah, she was writing about, um, you know, a 19-year-old CJ uh, and also (laughs) about the British submission to the states in foreign policy. So, you know, woo-woo. So after that, this is a really interesting play, and I don't want to get too deep into it, but this is Seven Jewish Children.
4: Did you guys read this one? I did read this one. I glanced uh, glanced through it, but then I, I did read a little bit about Um, so this is, well, it it began earlier, but she starts to become very interested and, um,
0: She's a big advocate for the Palestinian
4: situation. For the situation, Israeli Israeli
0: yeah, Palestinian yeah. situation and she's really trying to like uh be a voice in that even today. Uh she does a lot of this, but this is sort of her first big work on it. It's called Seven Jewish Children, a play for Gaza, like literally stating this is what this is. Um in 2009 and this is one of those where she doesn't tell you what characters say what. Um she completely I took it
1: see. as seven different monologues from oh. seven- different yeah. makers
0: i think you could totally do it that way i the only production i ever i've ever been witness to was a cut down production of it oh wow
1: think, you've seen yeah,
0: it kind of i you can't really do, it was a reading and it was cut down and okay. it was very just like for what it was, it was for student experimental theater at uh, hogwarts and Perfect. it was just sort of yeah and so it was interesting but they um they don't tell you what characters say what they don't give character names anything, so it does read like these monologues, but it was split up into as scenes when I saw it, and it was it was it was interesting yeah, um, it was um, split screen.
1: up script wise
0: yeah, but to me it's like the ultimate collaboration right it's the it's handing something over that's just words and it was we talked about this earlier but and a number does this really well too, where it's that hyper realistic speech where if you just read it like as a like first time you're going to be like none of this makes any sense mm-hmm. but if you're an actor and you're dissecting it and you're sitting there with another person and you're going oh what if he means this by this then you create it yourself and this play uh, is the ultimate um, in fucking with the Aristotle poetics kind of you know fuck, fuck your patriarchal structure of, of story I'm going to focus completely on milieu and not on these other things or whatever it may be right there's another French word
1: for you Scott well I'm glad no, thank to- you I'm glad to have, because honestly, like this one, I think it was actually the first Churchill play that I picked up and read. And after I was done reading, I was like, does she have a, I mean, this isn't the right way to go, but does she have a side or is she just trying to show both sides and it was about the uh,
0: Palestinians
1: yeah is she for the yes yes she
0: is for the and I don't know the politics of this so I can't get too deep into it you should just read it more of like her interviews on it because they're really interesting but yes she does have a side yeah
4: she's yeah she's yeah it, I don't let's not go down there exactly it's right, too but, hard to right, talk right, right, about without it, giving like my own opinion on you know what I mean yeah. so
0: it's sort of like it I would just go read about it it's really interesting and her opinions make a lot of fucking sense and she's very uh she's very smart about it but I mean she's smart about um,
4: everything like <laughs> that's absolutely the, like uh this know, is
0: the, this play also anyone can perform it without acquiring rights uh as long as they do a collection ooh, for the people in Gaza
2: cool wow. So
0: it's online you can download it anytime nobody's ever paid rights for it you just have to do and she apparently keeps tabs on this you have to do um a Gaza uh a relief sort of charitable right thing Right
4: on. on I yeah. did that Which I love cool. Uh
0: so after that uh we have another one I read and one of my favorites 2012's uh Love and Information Did you guys read this? I did Scott no. Nope. Uh, Talk to me about this, CJ, because this is uh, this was a this was a hefty one for me.
1: You know what? I didn't get an overarching theme, but again, I just I think it's because I sat down and started reading the script, and that was it. But I will say that I enjoyed, I enjoyed. It's it's a vignette of shit about love and relationships and stuff. And I will say that, like reading them, I enjoyed a lot of them. Yes. Um,
0: It to me, it reminded me a lot of Almost Maine. Uh the John Cariani script have you guys ever read that no it's it's like a bunch of stories, love stories that have nothing to do with each other um all based around the moment of aurora borealis right so it's oh, like in,
2: yeah in the, yeah 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 in the yeah, town yeah, yeah. Almost yeah.
0: and yeah. it's really cute and it's like it's so fun and like high schools love to put it up it's just it's a good show it's good. Um, i enjoyed it good. Re- it's, it's a fun. good
1: read i' but... bet it'd be even more fun to watch.
0: For sure. But this play is over a hundred characters played by like five to eight actors, depending on how you split it up, which is radical. So it's a real
1: actors banquet.
0: Exactly. And it's sort of a mosaic, a kaleidoscope, if you will, of scenes that don't really match up to anything Mm -hmm. like as a whole, there's no linear progression, but by the end, in my opinion, they kind of, they kind of create a, a broader picture of like, love in the 21st century right and 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 the way that it's broken up because it's all kind of based around like phones and social media and like there's there that that kind of theme and motif through it all Mm -hmm. oh my phone's not working let's talk about that and the way that it's written um and like the segmenting of things and stuff um is very in tune with how we relate to each other now in a social media world right we're very quick text message slack you know let me just let me just get you this information quickly and then we're and then we move on and and that's how the play feels it's very fragmented it's very mirroring of of what of how we communicate now and the fact that she can speak to our time in 2012 and also be writing in the 50s and have them have a play from the or the 70s more specifically for me have a play from the 70s and a play from 2012 speak to me so specifically girl has that's range. Some <laughs> that's some girl shit that's some shit like fuck, girl man. has range girl has <laughs> range yeah so here's the thing uh after love and information um ding dong
1: the wicked Ding and dong she- the wicked okay. And it did was you guys actually yes, it was performed in um, along with love and information. And my biggest thing, I have two things to say about this. It's two scenes. It's twenty minute long play, and it's basically two of the same scripts put in two different. It's the same script put in two different um, atmospheres. And Claire Foy was in the original cast. Oh, and those shit! Did, wow. Yes, Queen Elizabeth herself was in the original cast. So young Queen Elizabeth um so yeah that was my let's
0: let's bust through the rest of these real quick so we have war and peace gaza peace spelled peace p-e-a-c-e first and then p-i-e-c-e wars war and peace gaza peace 2014 which is another gaza peace obviously uh here we go in 2015 i I did glance
4: through the i did glance through those and they're fine like, <laughs> I, 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 like I, like I, don't mean to dismiss them. It, it I mean, just, it I feel like with a like, lot
0: of it, if you don't know the politics of it, it's hard to really like.
4: Yeah, and I did, yeah. You know, CJ said something. She's like, sometimes it feels like she she reads something in the newspaper and then writes a play about it. Right, um, and I and meant that in
1: a good way.
4: <laughs> well, I, I'm sure, I, but I, I don't mean be to be. I don't mean to be negative about it. It's just like uh, I, I wouldn't want to pay money and go see it. You know what I mean? Yeah. That kind of thing. It's I I Right. I yeah. for for all the stuff that I didn't like about Carol Churchill as a general sweeping th- analysis of all of her work, I am eternally grateful that she exists and she does the work that she does in the way that she does it. Absolutely. Um, but that one was kind of like, "Eh, this isn't my it wasn't my cup of tea." Wasn't my cup of tea.
0: 2015, she does "Here We Go," which is "Here We Go." Here Here we go. go. Here we go. Uh, Which reminds me of (laughs) the the "Mamma Mia" sequel. (laughs) Here we go. Yeah, uh, but it also reminds me of the uh, "Mamma Mia" sequel, which is called "Mamma Mia." Here we go again.
1: (laughs) This was I I read it. It's it's actually a cool little play. It's people at a dude's funeral, and they are all talking about the funeral and then interjected with that is them actually all telling the audience how they died how long after this funeral so it was interesting yeah as an artist it was kind of a fun little thing to read but like
0: uh also in 2015 she wrote tickets are now on sale which sounds uh
4: yeah yeah some of these later ones i
0: 2016 she wrote escaped alone which is just kids in a backyard who go on this was it was old ladies
1: in a backyard it reminded me of old oh i thought it was kids except three guys one group on. <laughs> no shit they were all sitting in the backyard just talking and then all of a sudden one of them would break out into a very serious monologue
0: I love that. Yeah, yeah. That's so. very three guys one grouping. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. That's
0: very three guys one groupin'. Yeah. Uh So in uh, 2016, she also wrote "Pigs and Dogs," which we invoked earlier, which is about the colonial uh, the colonialism, like effect on african sexual fluidity and like the anti-homo homosexuality we act We should of be doing this
1: still all the time right yeah now,
0: right personally. yes exactly this is another one where i was like holy shit cj was like you have to read this play and i was this like this oh, is okay. church i've read saying, like 20 fucking white it. people yeah mm-hmm. and i read it and i was like oh oh fuck oh yeah. f- oh fuck yeah. we need to be doing this play yes. just as much as incident of each like yes, it, it is, is a great one insane and it's um it's very much in kind of you know it, the anti-homosexuality act of 2014 in Uganda, which was a huge fucking horrible yeah. thing, especially yeah. because pre-colonialism, okay. Africa, you know, and Uganda specifically had a, just fluidity in its sexuality and its gender and its and all these things. And obviously, we came in and we said, "No, that's bad, Christianity. What are it's you doing? And,
1: God, yeah, yeah."
0: So you know, fuck us. But pigs and dogs. Everyone should fucking read it. Uh, Twenty seventeen. Beautiful
1: lies. The I. Uh, short thing about this it was yeah. in a um night of plays called top trumps it was produced right before trump was inaugurated and it's just a short play about a guy getting married to an american trump supporter and him telling his mom who he's getting married to and how his mom takes it
0: holy shit yeah. i'm into that everyone should uh, just
1: read it <laughs>
0: last year she wrote four plays uh she wow. wrote Glass. Kill, Bluebeard's Friends, and Imp, which all you can find in one book, actually, which is interesting. I don't know if they're meant to go together.
1: I did not get to those.
0: Yeah, I didn't read any of these, but they were all written last year, and they're, you said, CJ, there's a theater that specifically produces all of her work, no matter what, when it it's gets It's like written. a
1: basement theater or something like that, when it's not royal court. it's. Yeah. I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh,
4: yeah, well, okay. at, some, so, at some point, I feel like we should, we should go back and we'll do... A deeper we dive into her later work because she's for sure
1: absolutely she's prolific and, we'll, and brilliant in other episodes and,
0: we'll bring her back up because yeah i'm gonna evolves. keep reading there's a lot of really exciting stuff and if we ever put up something of hers i'm sure we'll we'll deep dive even harder uh let's get into the ending here's the thing i want to hear on the quickest way that we can possibly do it we got about five minutes here i want to hear your dream roles and your top threes but let's let's bust them out so let's start with scott tell all three of your top threes and
4: tell me your dream role go no explanation. Roll, just roll um, uh, uh, cloud nine. I would love to play. Number three. I, yeah. I'll play. I want to, I want to, I want to do Betty. Uh,
2: <laughs> I, do, oh, yeah. I
4: do. I do. I want to play yeah. that, that track. Yeah. Um, um, oh God, my brain's starting to melt. Um, well, <laughs> number two. T- top girl, top girls is my next favorite play, but obviously like, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. I'm not, I'm not just
0: one dream role is fine. Just what are your top three?
4: Um, then, um, I would do anything in, um, uh, well, I think I'd want to play Jeremy Bentham in soft cops. And then, um, Mm. the striker, I don't know any of those, any of those parts in the striker would be fun, you know? So Um,
0: your number three is cloud nine. Your number two is top girls. What's your number one favorite play of Carol. Shashal?
4: um striker i think well i don't know no top girls is my favorite the okay. Skrikers is, is the second but i think it's because i discovered it and was fresh i'm sorry Word. next uh
3: siege
1: um cloud nine i really enjoyed minus the incest um pigs and dogs i would love to direct or yes. produce um and then the striker because i want to play the striker oh
0: hell yeah hell yeah hell yeah hell yeah um okay well What's mine, yours I hit a spot. mine was really teenage. really hard to fuck with because uh what i thought was gonna be there is not there um my top three number three is this is a chair mm. all uh, right. number two is a number
1: oh yeah all right uh
0: number one is far away
1: well, and here's and be the deal. I,
0: I thought Top Girls was gonna make it into that top three until I kept going. And number four, the closest, it, it almost made number three, but didn't. Is Pigs and Dogs. Uh, they're just perfect. And then, perfect, the, the, and then the Striker.
4: Perfect. You want to dra- direct? We're gonna code. I
0: don't want to direct the Striker. I want to be in the Striker. I think right. I could fuck. With the All United right, director. Scott, we'll direct. Talk
1: about I'll play the Striker, and Bailey can pay, play everyone else.
0: Or I'll just produce the fuck out of it. Okay, so <laughs> uh, anyway, and my dream role. Uh, is uh, I'd love to play Todd in Far Away. That'd be super fun, but also oh, um, yeah. I want to do The Sun in A Number.
2: Ah, oh, cool. Yeah, cool. it'd be really fucking re- fun because you get to play
0: so many different. I need to read Oh, God. One. Read it and watch it. The Wilkinson uh, one is, is Wilkinson quite, quite good. It's
4: so fucking good. Oh, Such I'm thinking a of, sexy of
0: Scott Malkinson from South Parker. Park. I want to put my mouth in his mouth. Uh, oh, so, thank you all for joining us uh, oh, on our episode.
4: Carol Churchill. Carol, oh, Carol.
0: Forgive our Winston poor
1: British Churchill's accent. Winston Churchill's daughter. Nope, my British
4: accent is pretty good. I just uh,
1: Mine's best. Mine's also, most best.
4: We'll be back next
0: week with the works of Tony, the Tony Kushner.
2: Fuck yeah. Uh,
0: with... Angels in America podcast troika which is the best name I've ever come up with for anything ever please tune in for that uh, also we just um we want to thank you guys uh everyone it's um we know it's a long podcast it's a lot of nerdy shit but we thank you we have over 200 listens in our first week uh, after posting Tracy Letts which is really exciting so and I hope we that's know you're fun. listening Shout out oh, to Singapore. Oh,
4: a uh, oh, uh, big shout out to Ryan Thomas Johnson for writing our theme yeah. song. I'm
0: getting there. I got it all sorry. written out, I'm bitches. Sorry, I'm Fuck. So sorry. I'm sorry.
4: Here's the thing.
0: Uh, shout out to Singapore because they are, uh, we, we have uh, top listens. We can actually see all the numbers of people listening to us and it's super cool. And we can see where they're from and the age groups and the, everything. It's super cool. But shout out to Singapore because I saw that there's a lot of Singapore people listening. That's weird. Thank you. Um, Uh, follow us on all the things at theater underscore theater underscore pod on Instagram the theater pod on Twitter and email us if you have any suggestions things like that Uh, theater theater pod at gmail.com thank you so much Scott why don't you do this why don't you do this part the the people we need to thank
4: Ryan Thomas Johnson who wrote our theme song yeah for our special uh, uh, homage song for Cloud9. Thank you, Ryan and Pamela. Yep. We appreciate yeah. it
0: so much. And uh, thank you to the Sacred Fools Theater Company for housing us as artists. Yep. And also, uh, uh, just get, get out there, find Zoom Theater, find other things that are going... There's actually two Zoom Theater things going on right now as we record that we're going to hop off and try to get to. All the exciting things. Go find it. We love you all. Peace so out. my yes. Churchill. What? Yes. What? Don't... <sighs> Bailey. <laughs>
4: Later.
3: Men are playing women and women are playing men. Black is white and white is black and Mrs. Saunders is Ellen. Sons are played by daughters and daughters played by sons. Lovers, husbands, single moms, two acts instead of one Oh, gender, sexuality, racial stereotypes This curtain shines the light on all the wrongs you thought were right